I'ma say what I feel And I promise to keep it real Welcome to the Red Room Well, you gotta be a rider Till your fears are diminishing The doubts are behind ya It's hard to grind And the business got me stressed In the rent room We let that shit up off our chest You know the street nerd has got no time for no caca Sass in class Yes, that's Mr. Bolakaja Never have to guess When you're listening to Hilliard He gon' bring more game Than a shark playing billiards It's all about the crap of screenwriting It's exciting when you turn an outline Into something enlightening Your pen and words Are like bullets in a gun Write what you feel Say what you want Welcome to the Rant Room. What's up, y'all? It's your boy, Hilliard Guest, and you guys are listening to the Screenwriters Rant Room. We keep it real. We keep it opinionated. We keep it what, Chris? Wakanda, Wakanda forever. Oh, uh, look at Leonard. He knows what's up. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, I've been listening to you guys for a while. I know. We appreciate it. Yeah. We appreciate it. Um, so you guys know how we do it on the Rant Room. On the show, we discuss entertainment, TV, film, music, culture, but our focus is always screenwriting, stories, craft, and shit like that. Little disclaimer, Lisa Bolakaja is he's in New, New Orleans, huh? Yeah. Getting out baked. There, getting, getting baked. baked. <laughs> eating her butt off, too, isn't she? <laughs> I told her to be careful because she over there just be eating all that. But they come with all the food they have over there. Beignets and all that Creole food. Okay, just, look. You know, <laughs> everything down there is the thing. So. <laughs> But she'll yes. be back um, uh, the first first week of October, I think, something like that. <clears throat> anyway, so um, if you guys are grown, let's go ahead and get into the show. So today, we got our man on the show. The man. The big dog. <laughs> Leonard Chang, everybody, executive producer of Snowfall. We've been trying to get you on for a minute. Yeah, uh, a couple of years. Yeah, yeah, a couple of years. years. Like he busy. Years. You know, like no. he got a job or something. <laughs> he got a job? Got all that staff working for him? Come on, Come on. It's funny, I was listening to the, um, I also do um, some of the episodes on the Writers Guild podcast. I know, I've heard that, yeah. And I was listening to, Brian Gary did the one with Alexander Wu mm-hmm. on um, Tara, the new season. <clears throat> and he was talking about how, he came from being a playwright and moved into TV and he thought it was like writing every day and he's like, you actually only write when you kind of get a script. You kind of aren't writing that much. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. He said, and then you move up and you start running the show and you're hardly writing at all unless you're like fixing something or whatever. It's like funny how the, it kind of goes to this little, uh, the, what the, do you call the, it? The, the roller process, coaster. Yeah, yeah, the pro- it's yeah, funny. The pathway mm-hmm. is, um, it's a lot of writing to get in mm-hmm. and then as a, as, as like there's there's not that much writing as you know if you're first breaking in in terms of like a, if you're a staff writer or something I mean you have, you have to do your script and everything like that but just help it's your supporting mm-hmm. getting the show <clears throat> where it is and helping on every script and then you probably have more writing to, like if you're mid-level there's probably a bunch of writing to do because you're helping out the guys and then who are, who are beneath you and you gotta fix these problems and when you're upper level it's like you got meetings. You got yeah. meetings. It's, it's, it's a, man- a management job. And right. you're managing people. You're managing writers. You're managing executives, actors. It's, it's very much running a business. Mm-hmm. Um, but here's the thing. I mean, that's absolutely true. But I am always writing every day, no mm-hmm. matter what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. If I'm on a show, I'm still writing on my, on my other stuff. Okay. Even, even if I'm working <laughs> uh, 10, 20, 15, even 20 hours, I still find time to carve out my own writing always. Smart. Because Smart. I think that that's the only way you grow as mm-hmm. a writer, as a uh, creative 
a person, and also that's how you advance your skills. And um, and if you, if I didn't do that, then yeah, it would be really easy to uh, begin to fall back and write less and less, right. and which which I just can't do. I I need to write every mm-hmm. day, and so yeah, I, I wrote this morning before coming here. So did I. I had to. I guess that was like burning my whole last night. I mean, I hit. I was watching this. Um, you know, I have this fascination with this Polish filmmaker, Krzysztof Koslowski. Right. Uh-huh. And um, I noticed on the Criterion channel, there's all these kind of like interviews. I got to get your password for yeah. that, by the way, because yeah. I'm still going to watch and, that regular one. There's, there's all this stuff on him that was so hard to find before. I just was, And I just was like, man. And there's something that he said uh, in the make, this documentary on the making of the double life of, of Veronique that I was like, ah. This is what I need for my story right now, mm. and I had to, um, <clears throat> uh, and I was like, but I'm not going to get up and type right now. I'm going to get up early hmm. and do it then. But I took notes on it took right, notes. Right, right. because you, it's like, I mean, it, you have to write. It's it's weird because if you're an artist, then you have things you want to say, mm-hmm. and 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 you can't wait until you have like the script to write from the studio for sure it's, it's essentially like that's someone who's who's like who's now giving you permission to write mm. and that's what we all are trying to break away from when, exactly. we're, when we're younger to break yeah. away oh no no, no we just, I got my story to tell mm-hmm. and so that's the thing that um that to me, I'm like, yeah, you got to get up and write, you mm-hmm. know. So, and I think that's good that you left notes for yourself for the morning because then your subconscious can sort of work on it. And yeah, you get right. up and you yeah. sit, and you can roll right into it. So yeah. I, I like that too. I do that same thing. It's yeah. it, it's super smart because if you don't, then it's worrying in your brain and you're not sleeping because you're you're trying to figure it out and you're thinking you're like, wait a minute, and you hear dialogue and you hear a song and you all these freaking things that come yeah, to you. Yeah. If you don't at least jot down a couple things, you're going to be in your head the whole night. Or the know? worst thing right. is. You forget. You wake, yeah. oh, <laughs> you wake yeah, up yeah, and you yeah, forget. Go. Yeah. What was I saying? What yeah. was I saying? <laughs> oh shit! I had this cool line of dialogue and don't remember it. Right. And and the thing is that you kind of know. The thing, the thing about dialogue, you kind of know when you've said something that's like that's the crystal line. You mm-hmm. know, I mean, it might, might come. You know, it might come immediately or it might come like after like ten attempts. Right. But you know that's and you know you have it that you I gotta write it down, I gotta write it down. So, um, well, you know, Hemingway used to say that he during his writing sessions he would stop. At a high point, where he was very excited what would come next, hmm. and then make notes on that. And then the next day, he'd be like, jump right into it. So you're always come, going from a high point, right. and then when you hit a low point in the writing, you push through that, and then you get to the high point, then you stop. And It, and that's it may, keeps him excited yeah, about yeah. it, too. That, that daily effort, especially if you're working on something longer, a feature right. or, or a novel. You, right. you need that, that constant energy to keep moving through For sure, it. for yeah. sure. Yeah. So, Leonard, oh, oh, yes. go ahead. Speaking of novels... <laughs> Let's talk about Alan's choice and how he helped you. Oh, well, um, I'm glad you know about Alan Choice. He helped, he definitely helped my career in a huge way. So basically what happened was I wrote a couple sort of literary novels about race that, that did okay, but, mm-hmm. you know, it didn't, no, they did better than okay. They, they helped sort of establish my name in, in the sort of um, the literary community, but they, they weren't really like making me any money or anything, honestly. Mm-hmm. I, I had to be constantly teaching and Chris, tutoring. give him $5, for God's sake. Yeah, That's ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> so so <clears throat> what happened was, uh, so the epiphany for me was um, when, so one of my first books was taught, being taught at UC Berkeley. Okay. And someone wrote a paper on it and said, oh, this, this book is clearly inf- influenced by Jim Thompson and clearly through like, like crime fiction. Mm. And I didn't intentionally... Uh, uh, 
feel that was true. Like I, it wasn't something that I did with intentionality. But um, the more I thought about it, the more I realized, oh yeah. I mean, I always read crime fiction. I love mm-hmm. Jim Thompson, so mm-hmm. of course I was influenced by that. And then I began thinking, well. Instead of me writing books that they're having to write papers on for homework, let me try to write a book that someone really want to read, um, that in, in, encapsulate a lot of my interests and my themes. I can still write about race, but right. let me wrap that into a genre, into the crime genre, right, into right. a noir novel. And so uh, that's, that's how Alan Choice was, was born. And so I wrote um, essentially a... Uh, a crime novel with this Korean American character who is, you know, very much based on me, but a Korean American guy who doesn't speak Korean, who doesn't do, you know, martial arts all the time, who doesn't fall into the stereotypes mm. of 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 a, that character. And then I wrote, I wrote a sort of a, a, a long, involving mystery about the past and about his father, about family and legacy. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I had a hell of a time getting that published because as soon as, as soon as they, people read it, they were like, "Oh, wait a minute! Why isn't he doing more Asian stuff? Mm-hmm. Oh, wait a minute! This is this isn't this isn't quite a crime novel because it's so interior and so contemplative. It's so there's a lot of philosophy in this. I, we don't know how to sell this, but mm. it took. I think what it took was me connecting with a younger editor ah. who was not of that old school generation mm-hmm. who saw what I was trying to do. Um, and that book did really well. It, it sort of spawned uh, a trilogy. Mm-hmm. Um, and that also connected me to Hollywood, which got me beginning to get interested in film and TV. Okay. Um, and eventually, um, that's uh, cut to a few years later, I, I moved down here to, in order to sort of do primarily TV. But it, it all started with that idea of how can I write about what I want to write about, but do so in a way that might be more palatable to the mm-hmm. to the to the reader? Um, so I'm not banging over their heads issues of race and ethnicity and assimilation and culturation and all that kind mm-hmm. of stuff. So how can I weave it all together? So it was really useful, and I'm still, you know, I'm I haven't given up novels yet. Um, I still intend to go back to it, but TV has just been taking so much time. Observe. Yep. Yeah. How did you um, go from can I always think most people who go from novels, just, at least in my head, like maybe not today because everybody is, you know, optioning things for series like crazy. But how, what year was this about? Um, the Alan Choice novels? Yes. The, the first one came out, geez, uh, 2002. Okay. So uh, a, a little while ago. Yeah. So I guess, because then you said then you eventually came to LA to, to get into it. So what, what was it that spawned you to go, I want to do TV as opposed to film? Or like what, what, what was it for you? I, can, I mean, I, I know exactly what this story is. I, basically, I was living in Oakland. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, you know, I'm from I, Palo Alto. So. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's right. Bay yeah. Okay. yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, was, I had a really wonderful life up there. I was mm-hmm. writing novels. I was rock climbing. I was you know, drinking wine. It was really... He was chilling, wasn't it? It was a great existence. I, I was having... I had a really good close circle of friends. Um, I think I had just published my, my seventh novel and oh, wow. I was teaching. And so it, it was a good life. But mm-hmm. then um, uh, a couple friends passed away. One was a suicide. One was a, a, an a-, a climbing accident-related accident. Um, and that sort of kicked me in the gut a little bit and made me sort of think about, is this where I should be? Is this what I should be doing? Right. Was I feeling a little creatively <laughs> frustrated? And so honestly, what I did was I, I was still writing, but I just began um, watching a lot more TV. Mm-hmm. And this is around the time when, you know, Sopranos was peaking, yeah. The Wire was out, you know, The Shield. That was a good time to come in. That was a good time, yeah. And I was, I was amazed <laughs> at what I was watching. And there was mm-hmm. one point when I was watching The Wire and I thought, wow, they're... 
they're doing what I kind of want to do in novels, but they're doing it better. Mm. Uh, and, and they have a wider audience, and it's really compelling. And mm-hmm. so I, it's actually, um, I, I guess I had this epiphany, and I said, and so I went online to uh, Craigslist, mm-hmm. and I said, um, I'm leaving town. I'm going to move. It's, it was like a Thursday. I'm, leaving, I'm moving on Monday. Uh, everything in my apartment is free. What? Please come by Saturday morning at 9 o'clock. Help me clean out my apartment. What? So then, and then, and it was amazing because within seconds, I started getting emails like, "What kind of stuff do you have?" <laughs> uh, and wow, uh, Saturday morning, nine a.m. There was a line outside my door, mostly like retired people, some mm-hmm. college kids, and <clears throat> and they they sort of hiked in, and then they just began cleaning out my entire apartment. Really? Um, and so within. Five six hours, uh, my apartment was completely. Empty. You so you moved to LA with nothing. Uh, my car, my computer, and a few and some books. And basically, that's it. Wow, his one pair of jeans he loved, right? right. <laughs> <laughs> when it was uh, it, it was extremely I don't know liberating, mm-hmm. um, uh, a relief not to have to worry about all that stuff. Right. And, and I had a friend of a friend who was uh, going to be gone from his house for a, a month or two, and. I said, oh, can I house it for you? I'll just take care of your plants and yeah. like, do all that, that kind of stuff. And so that allowed me a little bit of uh, breathing room to figure out what to do once I got here. Right. What part of town were they in? They were in the Hollywood Hills. Oh, nice. Yeah, it was very nice. You lucky bitch. I Look was at very you. lucky. Very lucky. <laughs> yeah. Um, and this is all connections through like, like my novel friends. Okay. So like this woman was a novelist who I taught with. Her husband was in TV. That's why he had this place in the hills, and they were going to Toronto to shoot for, oh, yeah. for a month, and so it was. It was. It was perfect. It was mm-hmm. perfect. And so, when I was in 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 uh, house sitting there, I just uh, began writing scripts, writing pilots, mm-hmm. um, and I managed to hook up with an agent who had tried to. One of his directors tried to option one of my books. Mm-hmm. I didn't get along with the director, but I really liked the agent. So I just called him up and said, hey, I just moved to L.A. I, I want to break into TV. What do I have to do? Mm-hmm. And he's like, oh, well. well. And so he had, we had a meeting, and he <clears throat> he basically listed a, like a bunch of things to do, like you know, writing, of course, writing mm-hmm. more scripts, applying the programs, you know, network more, applying the, um, uh, the contests, because um, a, a whole list of things. Mm-hmm. Um, and Sounds like you got an ally, right? Yeah. <laughs> we always talk about it. you got to find at least yeah. one or two of them that uh, will help you. And he <coughs> and I did I did everything he said and then some. Mm-hmm. And I can talk about that later. Sure, sure. Like, guess like even like going farther than what, what he wanted. Um, and then he shortly thereafter signed me, and he's still my agent hmm. 15 years later. So, wow. yeah. he, really? and, and I didn't have to fire him because he signed the COC. Oh, yeah. He, he's part of the, the, the whole WJ, you know, uh, mm-hmm. signatory. So mm-hmm. um, that's been um, a blessing wow. because he's a smaller agent. So. See, that's, loyalty is important to me. You know, I'm, I think we're very loyal to, to some to an extent, but sometimes you got to realize at some point if the sucker isn't working for you, you got to let them go. You know what I mean? I think we, because we both have been through several managers and agents yeah. and stuff. <clears throat> like I would, I had just signed with UTA three weeks before this whole thing uh, happened because yeah, okay. we were like, this isn't going to last. It's not going to work. Yeah. Right? We're going to, it's all going to work out. And they're yeah. like, sure. So we, <laughs> you know, we went with this whole thing and next thing you know, boom. Yeah. Well, you know, um, before TV, I, in novels uh, and, and books, I, I had five different agents. Okay. Uh, all different levels. Like mm-hmm. the, you know, the WME typed down to the, the mom and pop. Yeah. And when I found in, that, in, that, in my career as a, a, a novelist that the best 
agents for me and my personality and my my the way I work and the way I actually work better with the smaller agencies. Mm-hmm. And so once once I signed with Brant Brant Rose, um, there were times when I was trying to there were, uh, other agencies were trying to poach me, but mm-hmm. I already knew uh, what I wanted, and I'm so grateful and thankful that I didn't I wasn't tempted only because I've, I've been with those agencies sure, sure, before sure. and they never they never worked out for me for well, a lot of reasons that's interesting that's interesting you have that because you get these experiences that become I don't say they're failures but you know from working with someone yeah. big that that just like I don't want that yeah. I think a lot of people they really want that big agency thinking there's a lot of power mm-hmm. in that and granted there is if you're the right fit for that but if you're not then it can be this extreme headache and it can feel like that they're not helping you and you feel like it's this most frustrating thing people really need to figure out that who people always talk about what's the best fit for you right and it's so important because because i met brant recently i knew his name for a long time but he was at but he was at something at the writers guild um, Con- about contracts or something. Contracts, yeah, 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 contracts. Yeah, 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 yeah. And you know, he seemed like a very—I say this in terms of like the frequency that he gives out. Yeah. You know, because you meet other people and you can go, "You're the guy from Slim with Sharks." You yeah. know, I mean, and they're coming across nice, but you can just people can't hide their auras. Oh yeah, you know? yeah. And that's what, and that's the thing that I think is very important about the representation because that has a lot to do with with your success mm-hmm. you know and I mean I've had so many bad people because yeah. they've wanted to sign with me and they you know and there's a time I mean in the last few people I've talked with I've been like no 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 <laughs> yeah. no because I can tell now that yeah. what you want yeah. is not going to work for me and yeah. I, I, I can tell in a few in a couple, couple in a quick conversation and I feel like that's part of I mean, I, th- I think it's interesting to you, I mean, to hear you say that you've had, th- that you went through that kind of, that whirlwind with the novel. So yeah. when you came into the Hollywood game, it was very clear about how, about who you could work with and, and why. Yeah, I, I think I had a lot of advantages, just being a little older, being a little more experienced, having a writing career before coming here, that I kind of knew what I wanted, and, and it was very, very focused in terms of how I was going to get what I wanted to get, and... Um, you know, I remember just what you were talking about. Like, I, I had this one meeting, this one, the head of this, uh, this one bigger agency that shall remain nameless. <laughs> and his pitch to me was this. I've got 20 clients. I make them a million dollars each. You do the math. I'm like, wow. Um, um, okay. Uh, what, how, so I'm not sure. How does that, how does that make me want to work with you? Especially right. since I don't care about money that much. Right. And so that, you know, and that's, that's like the worst, the worst approach you could have taken with mm-hmm. me. Um, and that's when I knew, yeah, no, you want to go with someone who is a creative partner, someone who has the same sensibility, uh, someone who will work their ass off for you, <coughs> um, and, you know, someone that your gut tells you, okay, mm-hmm. this feels like a right fit. And if it, and if it fits, you know, you stay with it. Yeah. I'll never forget, I used to, I always tell everybody, I used to hang out at like the, the gay mafia um, coffee shop back uh-huh. in the day. And everybody was there, including like Lance Black, right? Uh, yeah. So when he was writing Milk around this time is when we were all, all at this particular coffee shop. <clears throat> and I remember he used to always talk about how he ended up leaving his big agent for a smaller agent because he went to San Francisco. I think he said something like, and I'm paraphrasing, like a friend of his 
was shooting something, so he went to visit them on the set, and their agent was there, and they just got into a conversation. And this is when he was working on Big Love. Uh-huh. Right, and right. so they were talking, and he said at first he wasn't sure if he was trying to poach him, but then they started talking about his kids. And he realized, wow, this guy's a true family man. He's like, I got to go. Gotta go. Yeah, yeah, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. I don't care. I can care less about all this. Yeah. I got to go see my kids. And he was like, there's something about that. And he was like, my agent is like the guy you were talking about. Yeah. It was all about the money, all yeah. about blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And he's like, I will always go with somebody like this. So the guy asked him something nobody else ever asked him. What's your passion project? Uh, nice. And he's like, oh, I'm here now studying on milk. He was like, what? He was like, oh, I'd love to help you with that. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that is where you know when the right person is for you. And so, so I totally agree with you 100%. You know when you walk in a room if you have chemistry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. The chemistry could be I need somebody aggressive who tries to get me money. Or it could be I need somebody who knows me mm-hmm. and that I don't need that shit. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. So well, that's because The thing is, is that <clears throat> if you do the work, the money will come. True. So you can't sit around and, I mean... Look, people will get lured by the money. I mean, like everyone does it, and everyone knows the stories about people who got these massive paychecks and then can't deliver yeah. afterwards. Or it's like I did the one. I mean, it's particularly like in the ni- late nineties when, and also the nineties when the uh, uh, feature spec market was yeah. out of control. Right. Yeah. And it's like I turn around. I mean, I, I think the biggest story on that is um, um, not saying he's not talented at all because he is Shane Black. You know, like like Shane Black sold that script to Long Kiss Goodnight for what, like five million dollars or something like that, mm-hmm. and then it's like his career kind of stunted because it was like well, nobody could afford him either. Yeah, yeah. That yeah. became the problem it, too. There's that, right. and the thing is, is that his his agent is never going to let him take less than five <clears throat> million on anything. Right. And it's like so, not, so 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 now what do I do? Right. You know, because that movie was a good movie, but I I don't know if it justified a five million dollar spend. And then it's like, okay, so now you want five, probably plus another 10% on top of your next mm-hmm. project. And how do we know it's going to be the value of it? You know? and, and there's also a trap that, that a lot of writers fall into in which they make a, a, a pretty decent sale. Mm-hmm. And then they begin to uh, amp up and escalate their lifestyle that oh, yeah. requires that oh, yeah. money. And then they have to get a bigger sale. And right. so they have to begin to, you know, demean some of their artistic integrity mm-hmm. in order to get that sale. And it only, it only sort of, has a, an accelerating, spiraling downfall from yeah. that point, and so, and I and I learned this in books also. Where mm-hmm. I, I saw that happen with some friends mm-hmm. with books, and and one of the best pieces of advice um, a mentor gave me was, um, if you want to have any sort of success, creative success, learn how to live with a low overhead. And so I, I did that mm-hmm. in Oakland, and once I moved down here, you know, I, I live in South Central. I drive a Honda Fit. I, I'm like I'm very very really? very cheap, and because, and because <laughs> I don't know, people make fun of me all the time when I drive into the parking lot and I have a, a beautiful Honda Fit. And That's like, hilarious. So it's my car because I, you know, I paid cash for it. And it's never going to break down, and it keeps it very, and, the, and the, I know you have a, car, a gorgeous car. I've seen your car. Yeah. Did you see my scooter outside? I didn't see your scooter outside. Oh yeah, it's right outside. Oh, okay, anyway. but anyway, so and because of that, it, it has afforded me a lot of. Um, Leeway in terms of saying no. Yeah. I don't have to take certain jobs, yeah. and it's given me a lot of leverage because when you say no, you suddenly have a little more power in in that dynamic. And so I will always be, and it <coughs> drives some people crazy. But I'll always be really careful with money. I don't care how much or how big or what what happens. I mean, you'll never see me living the. the you know, you know the flashy type. No. Well, see, 
okay, so it's, 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 it's he was down there in Berkeley with the hippies. That's see, all. But, yeah, <laughs> but I'm right now, that's such great <laughs> advice for people to listen to because <clears throat> the thing that you don't hear a lot about, uh, but uh, I mean, I like seek these stories out because I find it so fascinating. Is people who've who've made it big and then have crashed. And you kind of and, and and you see their stories and feel these things every once in a while, where it's like, what the fuck happened? Yeah. And people think that when well, you made so much money, and then like, how do you? I, m- I remember there was a story about Mickey Rourke, how Mickey Rourke was broke as fuck, and 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 that he had to. Uh, I mean, and you remember he was boxing and shit like that, mm-hmm. and he had no money. And I, I want to say like. Uh, I want to say like Francis Coppola like loaned him money to like save his house because really? you know but but Francis Coppola is not someone to talk about because he lost all his money too yeah. but but I think he knows why he did it because he because he got the help from George Lucas mm-hmm. but it's like he knows that I think the thing is is that you don't get paid every week and I mean you can get paid if you're on a TV show but a lot of times if you're an actor you get paid this chunk of money like for the for the project and then you gotta wait until the next thing because that could be a year or whatever so oh, yeah. and the thing that the problem is is that you know if you have a regular job then you're forced to kind of like work within the means of when the paycheck comes every right. week exactly. as opposed to at, as you know if, if I paid you every quarter mm-hmm. you know like all your money for the quarter as you know, if you're just just working at like a law firm or something like that, mm-hmm. I guarantee you by the last month, someone is a lot of people are really struggling. Like, mm-hmm. fuck, man! Like, how am I going to pay for the car? Right. Blah blah blah. Yeah. And, it's, and, it's, and that's that's something that you do not need if you're trying to create. Well, I've I've talked about this on the show before too. I was an actor first before yeah, I was yeah. a writer, and I'll never forget when I got my first recurring role on a show. My manager told me at the time just advice that I always took. He's like, okay, you're getting this amount of money for all these episodes. Don't spend one dime of it for a year. And I was like, what? Yeah. He's like, matter of fact, I know you have a shoe fetish. You can have $1,000 <laughs> and go get some shoes. Cause get it out. You know what I mean? Get that one thing out yeah. that you, did. you feel like you did it. It was, didn't really affect any of your real money. And don't touch it. And it taught me how to save my money and how not to spend it. Because yeah. now, if I'm on a show, if I do a, if I do a writing assignment, whatever, I just take one little thousand dollars and I buy myself a bunch of little shit that I like and I never touch the rest yeah. of it. It's your reward. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and, and, then you, and then you budget it. Yeah, it's right. uh, really, really important. Yeah, and, but to this day, I mean, that was 20-something years ago. Yeah. I still have it engraved in my head that that's what I do. Okay. So now, you know, I still keep my chunks, yep. <laughs> you know, in the bank. Like even this office, I just pay for it for a year, yep. you know, as soon as I get a job. I'm like, boom. Yep. You know what I mean? So. Mm-hmm. so next question. First time I met you was on a panel that Carol Kirshner gave. It was you and like Wendy Calhoun. Oh, yeah, yeah, I remember that. This is maybe like, this was like a, I think a year or two years before Awake. Mm-hmm. So... What was the panel about? I don't even remember. The panel was just about like networking. Oh, and okay. about like, okay. you know, and, and like how to... My um, assistant. <laughs> you know, like just what you got to do to to work harder. It's it about networking in Hollywood mm-hmm. because okay. it was, there was advice that you gave and that Wendy gave about like, you know, like talking with, like talking with people and a way to avoid, this is like, this, this is one of my favorite pieces of advice that like you, it's either you um, and or like Wendy gave about like, if you ask someone for a, a favor, mm-hmm. you got to mm-hmm. give them an out in that ask 
so they feel comfortable enough about like getting back to you. Because if you just, you know, like, give, give us an example. So mm-hmm. you know, so um, <clears throat> I, it was something something you said about like, hey, if you ask someone, so can you keep, so like if you can introduce me to say X, right? And if you can't, that's cool. I'll find another way. Mm-hmm. You know, and just leave that in the email. All the pressures, yeah, and okay. all the pressures off, and it just makes it easier for the other person to, you know, it just like, that way. There's a, it's it, the communication is not one way yeah. because if you can't help me, then you're just like I'm not going to get back to you because a lot of times people feel like, well, I don't want to show you, you know, the extent of my capabilities if I say yes or no. Right. So I'm just not going to get back to you. But I, but that but that but I but I, I can't remember. If you'd gone through the CBS program or not, but I was interested in in, in and at that point I wanted to follow you because I thought that you and Winnie were so smart about what you, the advice you gave, and I was like okay, but but the first show you got on was you know you know was awake, yeah, and I wanted to know you know like how that happened because that because that was one of my favorite shows, oh yeah, and I just yeah. felt that it was yeah. like wrong network, wrong network, wrong it's like. I mean that was a cable show, really. That yeah. shouldn't shouldn't have been right. on broadcast network, and yeah, it was just it was a struggle of a show because of that. We were f- dealing with notes, a tremendous amount of notes, and all sorts of pressure. Mm-hmm. Um, so so after I contacted you know Brandt when I came down and he gave me the list of things, um, I began writing pilots. Um, I applied to all the programs. I did all. Were these you doing specs too? At that, were you doing specs at that time too? I. No, I wasn't. Okay. I, I mean, for the program, you had to. So, right. I, so I wrote, I think I wrote like a, I think Breaking Bad had just started airing and I was like, oh, this is a great show. And mm-hmm. so you were not, without even thinking about where it was going, I think I did a Breaking Bad spec okay, back cool. then. Um, and, but because I, cause, because I knew I really wanted to create a show, I was so intent on pilots. Right. Um, and so I wrote a couple pilots. One of them got optioned. <clears throat> um, Nothing happened with it, but it did tell me very quickly that I didn't know anything about production <laughs> the TV business or anything about that. Right. It's, it's nothing like books. And so mm-hmm. um, Brand said, you know, why don't you staff? And I said, okay, uh, let me start thinking about that. And so what I did was um, I applied to a bunch of the programs, mm-hmm. uh, the uh, network programs. And I think this is the first time I'm going to admit this on in public, but I got into a couple of them. Oh, really? And then you I had to went- choose. I went to both without telling the other. <laughs> <laughs> so on, on one time, I, like part of the week, I was going to one program, <clears throat> other part of the week, I the other program. Now it's not. It was. I mean, legally, it was fine because there's no there's no restrictive clause. Mm-hmm. It did take a lot more time and effort, right. um, but it doubled my it doubled my network. It doubled my contacts. It doubled my ability to go out and reach people. And so, mm-hmm. as I was doing that, my agent was beginning to send me out. And essentially, that's how I got awake because they had they had already essentially fully staffed up, um, but they had a little bit more in the budget for uh, another staff writer. They had actually hired one staff writer, mm-hmm. um, and where my background came into play was, you know, when I met with it was Howard Gordon and Kyle Killen. I said, look, I. I write crime novels. I write. I know mystery novels inside out. This is a mystery. This is a, a semi-procedural. I can. I can do this in my sleep. And let me tell you why. And, and then it was. There you the, go. I love it. The, I love it. The, yeah. the psychological aspect of the show. It's about a guy living in two different mm-hmm. worlds. And and I've always had an interest in psychology and the mind and how that works. And and so it was a really easy fit. And so that's how I got that show. And mm-hmm. I was literally like. The last hire, and they had already started the room for a couple weeks. Oh wow! Okay, wow. So I used to come in. I, I came in, and you know, it, everyone already knew each other. But you know, 
it was a it was a fun show. Like mm-hmm. it was a really fascinating show, and so I was really eager to just jump in right, and dive in. Sure. Um, and then because the show had some um, internal issues, like it's ironic that <laughs> a, show, <laughs> a show about a guy lived with a split mind. We also had at that point two show owners, Kyle and, mm-hmm. and Howard, and they didn't necessarily always agree. Right. And so that was causing some issues. And so eventually what happened was um, uh, Howard stepped back and did more of like the 20 other shows he's doing, and mm-hmm. then uh, and Kyle stepped up, and, then, and that's when it began to sort of coalesce. But that was, a, that was an all-hands-on-deck kind of show okay. where even though it was my first gig, uh, I was given a lot of responsibility and... Um, and I and I really appreciated and liked that. And so I, I you know, I, I just talked to Kyle literally two days ago. He's, he's, a, we st- he's got some new coming up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. he's on Halo. <coughs> yeah, he asked for Halo. Like yeah, Showtime, yeah, yeah. like big, a big right. show. Yeah. Right. Um, so yeah, I met a bunch of good friends there, and mm-hmm. it was a really good experience. I think. Uh, and then after that, it was just uh, that show went down, and I I told uh, my agent, look. I'm, I'm not actually happy not staffing anymore because I can keep trying to develop. But there are two shows on the air right now that I would really want to join. And, and if, if it, not for those two shows, and let me just continue. Um, and the two shows are I want to be on Breaking Bad or Justified. Hmm. Right. Those are the only two shows I really, really want to be on. Two of the best, too. I love no. it. Yes. People, I mean, Justified... <laughs> Maybe people, sleep it on just sleep about on it, it. because it's not talked about, about that much now. But it was only air was people talking about it a lot. Mm-hmm. But now they don't talk about it as one of these shows. Wasn't Wendy on that one? Yeah, she yeah. was on for, yeah. for a little bit, the first couple seasons. Um, but this, but th- that was an amazing show. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, I, I mean, like I loved it because it's like a western. That's yes. not. It's a modern western. But you know, I also loved it because Walton Goggins is a fucking beast. Oh, yes, and and yes. everyone sleeps on him. Everyone <laughs> sleeps on him. And I'm just like, I mean, I just shit, man. He was, no, like he was my favorite. Uh, I loved working with him so much. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And so, um, because I had already written a bunch of different uh, pilots, some of them kind of justified-ish, okay. just in terms of the sensibility mm-hmm. that um, uh, you know, I was submitted there, and you know, had a bunch of interviews with uh, Graham and all the people there, and, and then got that gig. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was also difficult insofar as. I was joining it midway through, and a lot of the people on that staff had worked together for years, right. not just on this show, but m- many shows previously, so they almost had their own, I don't know, vocabulary mm. in terms of how they talk about story, right. and so it took me a little bit of adjustment to figure out, wait, what, what the hell does that mean? And, and but then, you know, because I knew the show, and I, and I, I actually really enjoyed the show, it, again, it was uh, a relatively um, uh, quick process to sort of get part, become part of that team. Mm. Um, and that's when, you know, I made some really good friends there. Like, um, I stood an off with, v, with VJ. You know, oh, he, VJ, yeah. Uh, and, uh, and Chris Provenzano and, and Dave Angtron. And actually, that's what got me onto the next one, because Dave and I began to write a couple episodes together. Okay. And so we got along really well. Uh, and then when Justified end, ended, I was, again, happy to say, okay, I just want to develop now. But mm-hmm. then Dave said, look, I got this call about this John Singleton thing. It's actually set... <laughs> little small show. I even... <laughs> it's set, set in your neighborhood. It's where I live. Um, like, I, I had known about John through my, my partner because she was best friends with John's first, you know, uh, girlfriend back at USC. He's like, I, like I, so it felt like, okay, let me, let me talk to them. And, and that's eventually how I jumped onto that show. And um, it, that was also a long... You came off in the beginning. 
from the very beginning. Right. Yeah. yeah, well, that's okay. So that's something we were talking about just offline because I was mm-hmm. curious about this because that's a show that has a, there's, this happens. I think people don't realize this, but this happens a lot where there was a pilot that Fox didn't do, they didn't like, or whatever reason. So the, 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 the real history it, uh, John and this guy named Eric Amanio sold the pilot, to, sold the show to Showtime. Mm-hmm. Um, and it didn't get past the script phase. It, it, it died at that point. Then they turned around and sold it, resold it to FX. Um, and so FX brought in Dave and me uh, to help them shepherd that new pilot. Okay. Uh, and then we brought in also uh, Walter Mosley at that point. Mm-hmm. So we had a mini room. It was like, let's let's re-break this. Walter let's re- Mosley. I'm, yeah. gonna, I'm just going to bring in Walter Mosley real that's... quick. <laughs> Oh, but you already know him from a novel th- from novel things. Is that how you know him? Um, I knew of him. Okay. Um, and he actually went to school with my partner back in the East Coast a while back, so she knew him. Okay. Um, but I, I really didn't know know him until we were in the room together. And so this is a mini room. It's brand new at FX, uh, re-breaking everything, redoing it. And once we did that, it took about, I don't know, five, six weeks where we rebroke the pilot, rewrote the pilot, and did like outlines for three or four more episodes. Then FX greenlit the pilot. John shot it, and there was still something missing. Hmm. Um, There was still something not quite there. Part of it was maybe the voice. Part of it was some of the actors. Part of it was who knows exactly that the alchemy of why Mm -hmm. a pilot doesn't go. And so the, the nice thing was FX says, we still believe in this project. Um, we want you to try again, which is unheard of. Um, and so we started up a new room, uh, brought in more people. Um, Eric eventually left. He was mm-hmm. one of the creators. He left. Dave took more of an active role in, in, in writing, so he co-wrote the new pilot with John and Eric. Um, we just did a brand-new season, broke out a brand-new season. And this time we brought on these two young Belgian directors, Mm. Very new, mm-hmm. very oh, green. Those guys yeah. who did black. Yeah, those. Yeah. Oh yeah, they yes. got a great black. Eye. Yes. Yeah. So I saw black too, and I was like, oh, this, these guys are. There's something mm-hmm. about this, and so they came in, and they, because they were so new and fresh and like ambitious, mm-hmm. that they were like, we're gonna just go fuck it, we're just gonna we'll go crazy, and they did go, go a little crazy, but in a good way, <laughs> yeah, in definitely. a good way, and so that's why that pilot is so vibrant, mm-hmm. and now is what it, what we needed to get FX to say, okay, let's let's do the season, right. and so that's how how. Okay, so this okay, that's fascinating. That's fascinating because I had um, I told you about Malcolm because I knew Malcolm because because yeah. I, I had met Malcolm, um, I think. But, I think he had they had just done I, I can't remember if he was in the first pilot was he in the first pilot yeah he was in the first but he was in a different uh, different 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 role yeah, so yeah. but so I met him between the, the first which and the character second. is he um, he's, his, he plays a character named Kevin but he he, he eats it at, at the uh, uh, at, at okay. end of season two yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so so he was so it's interesting because we were talking and people should try to find this movie called Black Mm-hmm. These Belgian guys—they're <clears throat> Belgian, but they're—they're—they're they're, uh, 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 they're Arab. They're Arabs. I, can't, I think they're Moroccan, but they're from—but they—but they're, they're from Belgium. So they're right. just seen as. And Black is this movie that is—it's um, like Romeo and Juliet set in the projects in uh, uh, in, in in Belgium. I can't remember what city it is, but it's about a black gang and an Arab gang. Huh. And oh, it's really fucking ruthless because, oh. like, to get into the gang, 
they gotta rape a girl is like is, is like the jump in thing, you know? Hmm. And they actually fucking show it and it's oh, fucking brutal as shit. And she's like a prime character in the movie. Hmm. And it's such a really, really well crafted film. I think that I think they're doing Bad Boys Three, right? Yeah. Like these mm-hmm. guys like fucking came out of nowhere and just blew the shit because they're yeah. so that movie was so powerful. And I was like I saw it at a festival. No, no. Someone who I know sent me a, a, a version of a, a, DVD, a DVD from France. And I was like, they'll never release this here. <laughs> they'll never. It's too. It's just. They won't you got to read it in subtitles and stuff? Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So it's all, in, it's all in French. And then some of it's in Arabic and stuff like that. Uh, actually, there's not a lot of it in French. They, 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 they speak. I don't remember. I can't remember. But it's subtitles. But it's. I was like, they will not put this out over here. It's one of these movies that's gonna like put trigger warnings and shit like that. <laughs> it's it's there's no one white in it. It's just one of the, it's just it's brutal as shit. I mean the rape is brutal as shit, mm. uh, but the it, it's good. It's and it's and but then I'm like, you know, I heard Marlon James talking about one. Of, it's like it's, you have to be very careful when you fuck around with Shakespeare unless right. you bring something really to the. To, to it that right. makes it different and, and I thought those guys did that you mm-hmm. know yeah. um, but that's the thing I wanted to ask you because we were, I was okay because you had left Justified as a co-producer and then they had you as a at least it says in your IMDPs that you were a creative consultant on that first pilot yeah. and then you were now co-EP on the the, the, the show so you jumped from co- so you missed Producer yeah. and supervising producer. Exactly. You're like, I ain't got time for that shit. And <laughs> <laughs> you went directly to KWP on this show. Yeah. So you were talking about the the leverage and stuff like that. So so talk talk more okay, about. Okay, so uh, so actually on Justified, they made me repeat my staff writer. I was a staff writer oh. on Awake, and okay, then they and then Sony basically said, oh, we, he should <clears> be a staff writer again, and that. That really pissed me off for a lot of reasons. Well, uh, you're a person of color. Of course you should do it again. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so basically I said, all right, uh, I love this show. I will, I will, I will remember this. Mm. Um, and then uh, I, was there, I was there for so staff writer then, and story editor. And then I said, uh, I'm not going to come back. And because that, at that point I had established that I was really good on the show. Mm-hmm. And they say, why are you going to come back? Well, because I repeated Starfighter. And so unless you bump me, <laughs> double bump me, then I'm just going to, and so they double bump me. That's why, I jump, uh, that's why you don't okay. see that one thing there. Yeah, very good. And then Justified ended, um, and uh, Dave gave me a call to say, you know, join. And I was like, look. And he's like, you'll, you'll be the number two. I was like, look. Um, if I'm really the number two, then I will be a co-EP. Um, and FX said, no, this is uh, set a dangerous precedent of these many jumps and blah, blah, blah. And I just said, okay, I, I won't go then. That's fine. Thanks. I mean, I, mm. I, I, at that point, I had sold a couple pilots, I think, mm-hmm. where I was EP level on, on, that, on, the, on those pilots. So I was like, and they was like, well, that's not, that's development, that's not staffing. And I was like, look, I have, I have a line. That's the line. If if you don't want to cross it, that's okay because I'm not going to cross it. Mm. Um, and the and art of no, I love that shit. And yeah. then they came back and said, okay, what we can do is we'll give you so so as not to make it look um, like we just over promoted you. You'll be a supervising producer for two episodes, and then you'll be co EP after that. I was like, really, <laughs> really? I mean, that's, that's ridiculous. 
uh, and I said, fine, that's fine. And so that's how I made that jump. Okay. Um, and then and then I copy for two seasons, and then and then and then EP after that. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it, it really is the power of no, um, because um, if you're like if if you really really want to negotiate hard, you should entertain the possibility of it it's not going. Right. And, and you should be able to walk. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and and so I didn't walk on Justified the first thing because mm-hmm. I actually really wanted that job mm-hmm. and I was repeating it and it, I really did not like it but I knew if I could bide in my time I will I will sort of get what I want and mm-hmm. so um, and so that's that's what those jumps meant um, it's it's somewhat <coughs> uncommon um, but also I'm older than the majority of of, of people at that level mm-hmm. I had more writing experience I had more room experience I even had more set experience because of Awake I was we were, and Justified mm-hmm. and so and because of the development component I felt that um, I was it was completely reasonable for me to ask for for that kind of jump especially since the, the, the duties that they were giving me like I would be running the room a huge portion of the time mm-hmm. when Dave was dealing with production right. um, and we, we also we also had a lot of people who weren't really familiar with TV like Walter was great in the room he's a great writer but he had actually never really done TV before John had never really done TV before right. Eric had never done TV so they required a lot of people with TV experience and and I said if you want that then you're going to have to sort of pony up for it so, uh. see that's that's a fantastic story because I think a lot of people don't it's always a really interesting um, uh, the jumps and if you can jump mm-hmm. and what that is and, and how that happens because um it does seem to happen with white folks a lot it, more. It, it, look, it happens with white people. We, we got to struggle through that shit. You know, so I think you made two things. One is a fascinating book that I someone told me to read like 10 years ago, and I read it all the time. It's called Starts With No. Mm. It's about negotiation. Okay. And it's about like, you should be saying no. To, the guy said... You should say no to everything the first time it comes across your desk. Interesting. Because he's kind of like... So he don't believe in the art of yes, then, right? No, 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 no he does, but he does. But his whole thing is, he, he's saying, look, the bullshit shit that goes on is this thing about it's a win-win thing. He's like, it's not win-win the first time. The first Ooh. offer that someone gives you is them fucking you. Yeah, and that's so, true. So you have to sell them no because you know that's because th- th- because you know they're lowballing you right. the first time around anyway. Yeah. So you kind of you know there's a window there. You know sure. there's a window. There's right. always a window. And the question is, so <clears throat> what are you gonna like push back on? You right. know, and and all that. And and like you said earlier, and you said earlier, you got to be willing to walk because if you know you have to say you walk, but you should always be willing to walk because the point this guy made was. If you take that low ball offer, then they're laughing at you. Yeah. Hmm. Like this motherfucker did this, <laughs> so we can fuck him now whenever we want. Yeah. And there's no and and there's a lack of respect that you don't think that you know this. You know, I mean, my brother. I asked my brother to read this book one time. Mm-hmm. He did, and he sent me this meme back. It was his only response. <laughs> there's this meme from like <clears throat> the 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 later days of the, the Ronald Reagan administration. Or like Reagan and like Cheney or maybe it's early Bush thing and they're all just laughing all these old white guys like <laughs> laughing and shit like this I'm gonna see if I can find it and he was like this is what they're doing to yeah. you and, this, and the thing is you don't know that so I think that's fascinating that you brought that up secondly um, can, I, can I before you move on to your second part can I just push back on that just a little bit you, of course from a, from a producer's point of view yes 
Because my job as a producer is to, we have a budget, is to keep it under budget, right? So if I know you're $1,600 a day for your camera equipment and I can get you for eight, I'm going to do that, right? But I know that the next project we do, I'm probably going to have to bump you to your regular fee, right? So I'm giving you something, you're giving me something back. That's how I look at it. Look, look, look. You feel me, Leonard? That's where I'm going with it, personally. I I feel you. I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm saying it's just negotiations act because ultimately... If you want to get me at 800, I might say, okay, I'll take 800, but I need X, Y, and Z. There's these, I mean, Correct. because it's just like, yeah, you we'll said, barter like, somewhere else. We'll, we'll barter, barter somewhere else. Like, yeah. like, you don't just say, no, I'm not negotiating at all. It's like, right. there's, there's, there's so many other things that if you're creative or if you're, or if your attorney's creative or if you had a creative agent, I don't know if mm-hmm. they were, they come up with other things to make right. it palatable for everybody Correct. because that's the right negotiation. But here's the thing that I wanted to bring up because, I asked. Um, you brought up. You said Sony said no to you about this, right? About about the the, the about jump, jumping about making repeat, right? Yeah, I, and Sony said uh, it didn't look right to them or something to that nature. Well, he said I I was on awake as a staff writer. Mm-hmm. They said, well, normally he should be doing twenty two episodes in order to go to the next level. And I said, no, that's bullshit because I've seen plenty of other people plenty. Uh, uh, move to the next level. And th- and this was clearly. A diversity thing Correct. where like they were going to get me for free mm-hmm. and and he, the thing that really rankled me was on on uh, awake i was not the diversity hire there was another person who was diversity i was there because i was there as a staff owner right. and then to all of a sudden pull this on me it really it, it, it bugged me and I so will. but and they said and they said you know take it or leave it uh, and i really had to think about did i want to take it or leave it and at that point they had the leverage and mm. so i said okay i will take it but you know, I don't remember. Mm. He, see, okay, because I talked with Akila Cooper. Mm-hmm. She had did something similar. She was, I was watching the, um, the one hundred earlier. Mm-hmm. You know, this this year because uh, I was trying to get on the show, and I was in the early seasons. She like she's the executive executive story editor, mm-hmm. and then halfway through season two, she's all of a sudden like uh, co producer. Mm-hmm. And I asked her. I said, "Well, how did that happen?" Mm-hmm. And she was like, "Well, this thing about the number, this thing other people know." She was like, "Well, the people like a Warner Brothers said that they couldn't give her the bump second season because the first season was like a was it was like a it was like a it came in in the middle, so there wasn't enough episodes, and they were saying that they were like they were they were." They were counting the episode number that you had under a certain credit. You have to, you know, a certain number of episodes you have at a certain like right. level is what allows you to jump. It was what they'll do the, you to fulfill that so you can jump up. But I always find that interesting because I think that, like you said, that's 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 used as a club against black against people of color. Mm-hmm. Because my friend of mine, Denise, mm-hmm. when she was on. Um, she was on a show, I want to say... Did she go to Queen Sugar or something? Yeah, but she was on a Franklin and Bash. Okay. And she worked with the guy who was on that show, who left Franklin and Bash. It was like the story editor, executive story editor. Mm-hmm. And he his next show, he was a producer wow. on <clears throat> Blindspot. Mm. You know, he's like he's just you know white guy, mm. and I was like, what's this? And it was I'm like, you, and you can watch it. You can go back and look at credits of people and say, hey, they did this one time mm-hmm. or for part or part of a season, and next thing you know, they're jumping up, right. and it's like, 
it's it's I I, I think it's the leverage thing. It's, well, it's had, like it's like like do you want that job right. or not? Well, we had a girl on our sh- on, on Deadly Class who was a staff writer, and then halfway through she moved up to story editor. <clears throat> you know that was part of her deal. And so I think it's just how when you how you do your fucking deal. Really, you ask for whatever you want and you negotiate your way to it. That's what takes business affairs forever to fucking do. My question for you is, how much is it business affairs? How much it is it is it your reps and how much is it the showrunner deciding what your um, title will be? I mean, it it it, <clears throat> it starts with business affairs because okay. um, they they offer you they give you an offer. Yeah. Okay. Um, and it goes to the reps, um, and then as it begins to negotiate, it goes. It, and especially if it gets uh, potentially combative, then it goes to the showrunner, and they mm-hmm. say, "Look, BA says to the showrunner, look, uh, we're having some trouble with this deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's not budging. He's asking for X, Y, Z. We, we don't. We don't want to pay it. You know, what do you want to do?" And then the showrunner will say, um, get, "Give it to him. Don't give it to him." Mm-hmm. Um, it ultimately it does fall on the showrunner, um, and I think so. I, you know, I guess we negotiated my contract for uh, Snowfall, mm. um, and that was very. <coughs> and uh, and and eventually, I got a call. I got a call from Dave, and Dave's like, uh, "Leonard, you, you, you know, you, they might not want you back if you keep fighting like this." I said, "That's okay." <laughs> so, and so I okay, got to little walk. No, it was someone who said I could, it was someone I read somewhere. So I, someone was saying that if you negotiate hard, oh, it was Sean Ryan. Mm. Sean Ryan wrote this as a post on Facebook. He was like, if you negotiate hard, they respect you. If you ultimately close the deal. You know, I mean, there's obviously going to be give and take, but sure. if you negotiate hard and and get it done, they respect you more. And if you're willing to walk, they respect you because it tells people the one thing <laughs> that um, it's an interesting thing. It's like you're basically saying, "Well, the money doesn't matter to me," right? You know, and right. it's interesting because a friend of mine was telling me one time, it's one of the reasons why you really can't have. You know, like um, in a story, mm-hmm. um, it's just the money is the reason that motivates someone. Right. And I, and we were talking. I was like, okay, but w- so why are you saying this? And he's like, because a lot of people who are in this, who are you know, in this position of wanting to break in, all they want is the money. They really just want the money and blah blah mm-hmm. blah. And, it, and it's and it's like that level of like demand for money. But he made his report. He said, but you know, executives and producers don't have that need anymore. Right. And they forgot they have what, a salary. And, and, and they <laughs> forgot <laughs> what it means to want <clears throat> money. <clears throat> so so they can't they can't so they almost can't wrap their head around someone who just wants money. Right. And if you're and, and if you're saying no on a on a principle, which is essentially, well, you fucked me last time, that's mm-hmm. one principle, or artistically I don't want to do this, they actually they actually like can, can literally get behind that because it mm. makes sense to them. You know, because mm-hmm. like money, motherfucker, I got $10 million written in the bank. <laughs> it, it, so it's it's interesting that you say that. It's mm-hmm. really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, here's the thing I wanted to ask you. Um, so you do Snowfall, you do this with John Singleton. You know, he's such a... Uh, um, Celebrated creator, mm-hmm. you know, particularly for people like 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 of our generation because yeah. of how he came out. He was the, people forget he was the youngest guy to get the best director mm-hmm. Academy Award thing. Um, what was that like working with him? It was wonderful. Uh, 
he, I mean, he, I wasn't sure what to expect because I'd met him, I think, casually uh, on a couple occasions. But no, get, sitting down in a room with him, you know, day in and day out, because mm-hmm. especially in the earlier in the earlier seasons, he was there, you know, day in day, day out, and um, and he has a huge, huge investment in the show because. Yeah. In many ways, he sees himself in Franklin, right. and so he was extremely protective. Um, and I think that was that was great because the investment was so so high. And and so, but he was also completely open and willing to listen and mm-hmm. learn. So, like some of the things that some of the times we butted head early on were essentially issues of TV versus film. Mm-hmm. Like one, you know. We wanted to slow play certain things, be able to extend them out and build and evolve the character. And he he was getting impatient. Why aren't we doing this sooner? Um, and it wasn't until the second season when he saw why, like he had lived through right. it, and he's like, "Oh, okay, this is how it should be done." And it's a mystery. You gotta, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you gotta exactly. slow it down a little bit. Exactly. And I think. Um, by the way, I love the homage you guys gave him this season. Can you see the little dude over there with the camera like, who the hell has to do with the camera in the middle of the freaking project? And ain't nobody saying nothing. And finally it comes like, ah, there it is. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. that was John. That yeah, was beautiful. Yeah. That was beautiful. Yeah. Um, <laughs> he's uh, extremely generous, uh, was generous of spirit. Uh, mm-hmm. He helped so many people. So many people. Oh, he wanted... Uh, All of our friends have something to say. Yeah, yeah. All of our friends. Yeah, so he was... It was, it was actually... Uh, a really uh, sort of deep shock um, mm. because I had just talked to him two days before. Mm-hmm. You know, he was he was fine. He was absolutely fine. I know he had high blood pressure, but you know that was generally under control. And then, and then because boom, he's gone, and it was it was really shocking. And it took me a while to sort of uh, absorb it and reconcile it. Mm-hmm. And then, and then there was a part of me like, oh, maybe maybe I'm done here. Mm. Maybe maybe it's time for me to move on because. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, it was really painful, and then uh, uh, you know. But then we began to just uh, we went, went back to work and, and began to break the final few episodes, and I began getting creatively excited about what we were doing. Um, but yeah, he, he cast a very, very big shadow over that over that production sure. over, that sh- over that show, and uh, I, I, I actually I really miss him. Really miss Here's him. something you don't know. Um, Myself, Jeff Bird, and Carl Seaton actually did a podcast with John, oh. like a year and a half, two years ago, was it? Yeah, probably two years ago now. Um, because we were going to do a podcast with Jeff and John, uh, Jeff and um, Carl. They were going to do a podcast where they interviewed directors. Oh. So we started with John. Okay. So I mean, we talked for almost two hours, mm-hmm. and I never aired it because both of them became huge, <laughs> busy directors in television at the yeah. time. Right then, they were just starting to go. And by the time we taped it, they were like gone all the time in different states or whatever, shooting in Toronto, whatever. And so we never aired it. <clears throat> so when he passed, I, I hit them and went, guys, should we drop this? Mm-hmm. They're like, well, let's give it a little more time just because it might be kind of awkward with the family and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, well, I'll, I'll bring that up to Leonard and see what Leonard thinks, thinks if, I should, if I should drop it. Because I, I haven't dropped it yet. I mean, what's what's the content of it? I mean, he's just talking about his life and his career, and you know, they're just you know talking about how much he inspired them, and it's actually a beautiful episode. He gives us a ton of game, of course. You yeah. know how John is. Yeah. Um, he said like right here, and we just you yeah, know did this amazing yeah. podcast. Absolutely. So. I mean, it would be a testament to him and right. his memory, and um, and remind us, you know, why so many people loved him so right. dearly. So I absolutely think. Um, 
I, I guess I understand the family issue, but um, if it's really, if it's about directing, it's about, yeah, it's about I mean, the it's, business, it's about yeah. what we do, then I don't see what the uh, conflict will be. Okay. Yeah. yeah, you know, because um, <clears throat> he had worked with Scott Alexander and with Larry Karaszewski on the OJ thing. And when they were filming that was the first, that was that was around the time when I first started like like develop, developing the relationship I have with Scott, and he would always talk about how um, just everything about John was like this exciting mm-hmm. thing, you know. It was like he, you know, and he was like, yeah, we were both the USC, but from different eras, and it's just like um, you know, because the thing that I think people don't realize I, I want to say this is about John too but I know it's about Scott Scott wasn't a um, a screenwriting major oh, really? he was a he was a critical studies major and I think that's I, I want to say that John was too and it was interesting because there's like a different way of approaching the work uh, I mean I realized from meeting from meeting that's one of the reasons why Scott has the, this deep knowledge about the cinema because mm-hmm. he's not someone who's just looking at to be a writer. He's, he's, he's got this, all this other kind of stuff he's interested in that he didn't bring to the, to the movies. So I just, I just, but, but he would, he would talk about how he gave, you know, like that was a show that he came on to and he, and, and I remember Scott was so broken up the, the, uh, when it happened. Cause yeah. he was like, Oh, cause Scott was trying to get me, at the time, I was at the co-chair of the the black committee and the writers, and he was trying to get me to set up something to give like a um like a tribute to John at the Writers Guild, uh-huh. and it never really happened because uh, I think at the time there was like a they were they were trying to do a festival, I mean, kind of like a tribute at the Directors Guild too, and so therefore they um, they. Uh, um, it it just it just didn't it, it just it did it didn't manifest you know but I think that was like right around the twenty fifth anniversary of Boys and Hood what oh, we were yeah, trying to yeah, do yeah, so yeah. it was this big thing yeah. and I just you know there's so many people I know who talk about working with him that uh, it's it, it's it's interesting there's not more filmmakers who are like that mm-hmm. because because he had. I, I guess kind of like a storybook career in a way, and there's a lot of people who do still have those. I mean, people we know have you know people who's got names they have that usually, and you just kind of wonder you know to make the transition from film to TV. You know, he, I mean, he, he hadn't made a movie in a bit, but um, but Snowfall, you know, it's here in LA. It's about that time when he was growing up. He's got such a, um, a connection to the material in a way that's. It's not just I got a cool story, right, you know. Right. Um, I don't know. I'm I'm I, 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 I'm curious to see what you guys do next season, mm-hmm. the full time, you know, the full season. With, you know, as you're kind of like, I don't <clears throat> say stepping out of stepping out of his shop. He wanted to get to this next season. What we're going to be doing in season four? He wanted to get to that way sooner. And so part of the part of what's so interesting is that uh, he began to appreciate and and love the pace that we are sort of pulling it out and weirdly this is the season that that we're going to start breaking this is the season that he really really wanted and so we do have a pretty good idea about some of the uh some of some of the stories that we're going to do and some of the logistics of it um but it's unfortunate that you know he was actually picturing stuff that we're probably going to do in season four he was picturing that back in season one and I, and I think personally, this show for me as a huge fan, you know, I know Tash and, you know, oh, yeah. we both do. <clears throat> and um, matter of fact, because I'm, I'm the vice chair of the black yes. committee now. Yes. And so Lena's busy as always. 
and Michelle is often uh, thinks she's in Bangladesh. She's somewhere. She's over there somewhere. She's in one of those countries over there teaching. So I'm running the group right now. Uh-huh. So whenever we have a meeting, I have Tash come in and be my, my co-chair, if you will. Because so I like to do it with somebody. Uh-huh. And so um, anyway, but I think for me, this has been my favorite season as I watch the show escalate. Uh-huh. It has had the most mystery to me uh-huh. and, and just turns. Like it just... Every episode, you don't see shit coming yeah. whatsoever. And I'm not going to give away the shit that happened, but then I was blown away by what you guys did at the end of the show. Thank you. Yeah, I feel like we kind of hit our stride <clears throat> this yeah. season. Like we were, the first season, we were definitely figuring out a lot of the tone, a lot of the main characters, mm-hmm. figuring out the landscape and the, and the, and the, and the style of storytelling. And, yeah. and then the second season, it got stronger. And now we sort of know what we're doing. Um, and I think, you know, it's interesting that if you... You can see the DNA of Justified a little bit in, in Snowfall, just in terms of some of the, the way we do the, some of the twists, okay. do some of those mm-hmm. turns, that this is something that we picked up as storytellers from that show. Right. And also, tonally, we're trying not to make everything so relentlessly bleak. We, mm. It would be really easy to go down that path, but we're mm. also trying to subvert some of that with things that are a little more fucked up or a little more funny or a little bit more off-kilter. Right. And, that, and I think that's, uh, that's something that we brought to the table that uh, that John really appreciated because mm-hmm. he 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 and Walter too they just um, they want to they want to participate in the lives of these characters but they also want to have some fun uh, and so then we were always trying to keep an element of fun in there even though it did get it, it, it did get dark in this season but you know we always tried to leaven that and and cut through that with elements of character humor and and something something different or off. Well, you know, since you say that about Walter, because I don't know him, but I've read several of his books. I mean, obviously, people know uh, Devil in a Blue Dress, mm-hmm. obviously. But one of my favorite books he wrote is uh, it's called um, Futureland. Oh, yeah, sure. Uh, it's this science fiction stuff. Yeah. It's maybe like eight or ten short stories. Um, they're interesting because they're interconnected. Yeah. But and and I think when you read it, you don't figure that out till a little later because it starts off with this one character who's a kid in the in the maybe like eight or nine when they in the first first story, and then he shows up in like the third story as an adult. Hmm. You're like, oh, this is the same world, and it's like and th- it's it's but it's really smart. And he also wrote this really fascinating. Uh, I I I I, I, I want to say. I want to say it's like erotica, but I don't know how, what it is. It's called, it's called The Killing of Johnny Fry. Mm-hmm. Um, ask, it makes you seem asking about this. It's a good title. Um, it's, it's, <clears throat> but it, but it's, they're, they're bleak. His stories are, like, don't have the, the kind of, um, the, that kind of dynamic where it gets funny at a time and mm-hmm. then, you know, whatever it is. Um, it's interesting you say that about, but I, I, I don't know. I'm, he's, it's, I, I think you guys have just a fascinating room. It's such a really interesting show to watch. It's very top-heavy, though, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's because of the material, because of uh, the time it's set, um, and because we have this huge wealth of of people wanting to be in TV now, that that it's actually almost crazy. Like, uh, so, you know, last year, our staff writer, our staff writer was Gary Phillips. And that's, I don't know if you guys know, he's a, a novelist who's been, you know, he's, he's in his late 60s and he's you know, wow. writing about L.A. black experience mm-hmm. for decades <clears throat> in the LAPD. Mm-hmm. He was our staff writer. He was like the newest person who mm. just... And we had... And so we have a huge range of experience and 
um, and depth of, of writing on, on our, and it's, it's very unusual. It's something that I uh, am actually really proud of because you walk into that room and you, you know that there's like, you know, centuries of experience right. laid in there. And so, and what, what I love about Walter is he has nothing to prove. Like he is famous and has made his literary mark. And because he doesn't have anything to prove, he will say whatever the fuck he wants. <laughs> <laughs> and so he will say, you know, I've heard him say, oh, fuck that. That's, just, that's racist. You can't, you know, and, 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 and one starts to get, get into it. And, right. and that kind of honesty and, and forthrightness in the room um, isn't for everyone. Right. Like not everyone can yeah, handle that. It's true. Uh, but, <laughs> but this room can because it, is, it does age up a little. It mm-hmm. is an older room and it is a more experienced room. And there are people in there like Walter who really don't give a fuck. And so... Mm-hmm. And so it's been it's been wonderful to be in a room like that, and I think that's one of the things that definitely brought me back because um, it's a uh, it's fun and it's insightful, um, uh, but we're also really trying to do something you know relevant and important. Um, so it's uh, I actually love having Walter in the room, and he's now he's now been bumped to the executive producer level right. because we want to make sure that he's like maintaining. Uh, the, the John Singleton is mm-hmm. of it, you know, because they were such good friends. Since you say <clears throat> the, so o- the so older room, it can take the kind of. Oh, you're going to talk about see, the Star see, Trek. See, yeah, see, yeah, yeah. see. Oh, <laughs> it was on Star Trek? Oh, shit. Um, wait, you're talking about what happened with Walter. Yeah, the article. Yeah. See, oh, oh, okay, so. Give a second. Yeah, because yeah, I, yeah, yeah. it's. I, uh, two things. Like, one, I feel it's such a, it's such a bad. Uh, 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 perception that you got to be young to make to be to, totally to work for television because you have these guys who could come in and they could bring life experience. You know, I mean, I'm I'm not surprised you guys. What's the guy's name? Is it Charles Burnett? That director, Charles Burnett. Yeah. I mean, like he almost seems like he'd be perfect to come direct on the show because of what he because of the kind of movies he's chronicled yeah, yeah, yeah. is that is this time period. But Walter. <laughs> But anyway, there was an article that I think you tweeted, and I was like, read it, and it was so fascinating mm-hmm. about how what, he was. I guess, oh yeah, I read this. This is yeah, between yeah. <laughs> people who haven't read this. We'll put it in the show notes. Yeah, yeah. Is the New York Times? He was. I guess it's between the seasons now. He was asked to come on another show. Mm-hmm. They came on the show, and he used the N word a few times. Not. He was telling a story. He was telling a story. Right. Just saying it in in story context. Mm-hmm. And someone who I, who I got to assume was like it was like a millennial got upset <laughs> exactly. and got him and, and filed a complaint with HR and he I had to quit the show because he's like I'm not going to be around any place that won't let me be right. who who I am and he's not like he's, and he's a brother. He yeah, said, yeah, he said, exactly. you know, I mean, and the thing is, that he's not dropping it indiscriminately like right. at everybody, mm-hmm. you know. I mean, because sometimes, you know, I, you know how you like, sit yeah, around yeah. and you hear about this the other day when I was, I was sitting in the car, and um, I was sitting in the car, and uh, I was at a light, mm-hmm. and I was at the corner of a, a Vine in Santa Monica, and there's a and there's a billboard for the show 13 Reasons Why, like season right. three, and it says, you know, like who killed Bryce or something like that, or, or and these two black guys, younger, they were in the car next to me, mm-hmm. and, and, and they said, "Fuck that N word is dead." And I was like, "Okay, <laughs> talk about a white dude, you know." So you know, people can let it roll to right. slide anybody, right. but he's just telling a story in context, right. yeah. and it's offending people. And I just was like, "That's so strange to me." Yeah, I I feel like uh, mm-hmm. like 
I remember I was with Walter right after he did that, and we talked about it. And I think part of it is that room, for whatever was going on, was super traumatized because of multiple showrunners, a oh. sense of uh, just like things going on there that I, I am not privy to you. And I feel like they were just like super hypersensitized to, to that. And um, I, I actually think it was kind of ridiculous for it to happen, but I can understand, you know, given the context um, of some young writer uh, like already like on edge and not sure how to feel just, just running to HR. It, it would have been easier to talk to either Walter or the showrunner rather than do that, but... You know, but the thing is, like, if you're in the snowfall room, it's it's like that, but way worse. I'm sure better. it is. I'm sure it is because Look. because you're talking about you're talking about crime. Yeah. You're talking about crime in the '80s. You're talking about uh, it's not just like regular crime, but it's like you know, it's the it's the it's the it's it's, it's when cocaine is coming in and, and, and ripping apart mm-hmm. the and it's neighborhoods. Gritty. Yeah. And it's gritty as shit. Mm-hmm. And, it, and that's, but see, it's interesting because it's like, you know, there was that thing on the Dave Chappelle, the recent Dave Chappelle special, right. when he was talking about how he has no sympathy for the, 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 the opioid epidemic because he right. was like, this is just a crack thing now <laughs> exactly, for everybody. Exactly. You know? And it's <laughs> like, now it came to Yoho. Yeah, yeah, now, yeah. <laughs> exactly. so now, now, but so I feel like it's just, it's interesting because you see shows and you and I want I was curious about what's happening in a room if the show is very um if it's got controversial subject matter. Because you know, like I've I've watched all the episodes of uh um uh Mindhunter mm-hmm. recently. Who <clears throat> loved the second season, loved it. Yeah. Fascinating. You know, a, a lot of disturbing shit in that in the in that whole season. Okay. Then yesterday, I happened to turn on this show called, um, it's called Unbelievable. Mm-hmm. It's a new show on Netflix. Mm-hmm. It's about a rape. This girl gets raped. And it's I can't f- believe they're doing rape today. It, it, it's, it's weird. It, it's the first time I've seen on a Netflix show hmm. that parental advisory, this subject matter, you know, it could be offensive oh, okay. before the show So begins. they did the disclaimer before. The disclaimer. And mm-hmm. I was like... But you had some shit in fucking Mindhunter that was worse than this shit. And I was like, <laughs> God damn. And I was like, but I'm kind of like, well, then again, I was like, okay, but the audience, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a girl in her young 20s who gets raped in, 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 in um, this Unbelievable. unbelievable. Mm-hmm. That's like, why. Caitlin Diva. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I'm kind of like, okay, wow, that's, you know, what that mm-hmm. is. And then in Mindhunter, it's like, Okay, yeah. you know what you're getting. It's into. an older crowd. They're like in the thirties, older crowd, and, and, and you know what you're getting. And there's, right. and there's, there's no like, there's no like youth getting mm. affected by these right. killings, you know. Um, mm. But it's interesting to think about. I so I want to ask you because you know because you worked on uh, a network show. You worked on. Uh, I guess. I mean, I, I guess F, oh, well, both those shows are FX, so I justified and in this thing on FX, and you worked on these cable shows. I'm just curious to know, how, you know, do you find it stifling as a creator to, 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 in terms of what you worked on? Because you were saying earlier, there's these notes you were getting from, all the, and obviously TV has changed a lot since Awake, mm-hmm. but 
But just talk about that in terms of like the type of notes that you're getting and and, and, and how that works for you. Yeah, well, there's there's no way I'm going to go back to uh, broadcast network. Um, oh, really? Probably because of that. Yeah, I just Ooh. can't. I just can't deal with all those notes. Mm-hmm. FX is, and the reason why I like FX is because they're very hands off. Mm. Then the it was astounding to me mm-hmm. when I joined uh, joined Justified, where, I mean Sony. They were in the studio, but they didn't. They barely gave us notes, and FX gave us some. But it was always in, it was always in the pursuit of the goals that we were trying to achieve. So, mm-hmm. given that we want this episode to be about X, Y, Z, you know, how about, here are some questions that we have. That's the level of the notes. I think on Justified, the show got blown up more by Timothy Oliphant than anyone really? else because yeah. he was, you know, he had, he was an EP, EP <clears throat> and he had a very distinctive idea. So he he would often have a lot of. Uh, difficult notes that we would easily navigate and address, but I feel like we got more notes from him than we did from FX. <laughs> um, and on and on and on um, Snowfall, it's it's been amazing, it's amazing because I, I mean our notes calls I don't know five minutes, what? ten minutes. <laughs> wow, <laughs> we've been there for an hour. Look, wow, that's uh, great. And so it's <clears throat> just it was, and even when we take wild swings you know they might they might raise, raise a question like are you sure you want to do that now because if you do it now blah 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 right. and we're like we already talked about this we, yeah, we're sure we want to do it now and mm-hmm. so I mean it's 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 been a just a great collaboration with them and uh, and I think I think I think that's I know that's unusual um, but it's not unusual for FX um, which is why a lot of the shows are good it is is very creative driven mm-hmm. um and when I compare that to being on a notes call for Awake, where there were literally 13, 14 people, executives Ugh. from the studio network. That's awful. Um, and all of them are like, you know, listening and then and they're having to chime in because uh. they want their boss to know that they're doing And So, and so we, they, didn't, they didn't call it all in one thing, and then one person's giving you notes, everybody's, oh, that's awful. Yeah, it was sorry like, to interrupt you. Oh my god! So I just don't know, you know. And right now I'm developing a lot, and mm-hmm. um, I'm dealing with the notes process. From like, I, I have this one project that has two studios, a pod, and a and a, and a network, mm-hmm. and that's a lot of notes. And I'm not used to it, honestly. I just and they often conflict, mm. um, and I'm just like, wow, I, I, I forgot how um, easy and good I had it. I have it at <laughs> FX uh, to have, you know, two studios. With diametrically opposed mm-hmm. ideas of what the show they think the show is, and so it, that required a sort of um, a firmer stance on my part. Mm-hmm. Basically, I'm not. I just can't do this anymore. So we're going to do it this way. Um, and if you don't like it, that's fine. But but I know what I know what the network wants because mm-hmm. I because I sold it to them. And I sold them the pitch, and so I'm just going to do it my way. Um, and I think that message landed because. The last round, there there weren't that many notes. Mm. I think they they realizing that it was beginning to um, be counterproductive, right. and I was going to get pissed off. <laughs> so, so, they were, so they were sort of pulling back. We were we were talking about this uh, a few weeks ago. Uh, on one of the episodes that um, on script notes that John and Craig did, they were talking about that they are going around to all right. the different studios and networks, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> you know, doing this exact talk because. They got to get it together. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's ridiculous. They still, all these years, don't know exactly how to talk to us yeah. or how to, well, you know, not all of them. I'll, I'll say that because yeah. there's a few that really uh, elevate you. You know, for the most part, yeah. you hear this with every writer. Yeah. Well, two things. One, <clears throat> you know, like Craig, he gave this great talk about like dealing with, with notes and features, but I think it's so appropriate for 
um, TV. And I think it's interesting about Craig because like Craig used to be an executive before he became a writer. Sure. Um, and he and he says, you know, if you got like multiple producers on something like that, is that that you have to kind of tell them up front, mm-hmm. you guys work out your notes. And then you give them to me, right? Because you don't. I don't know who to serve, right. and I'm. And you know what? I'm going to serve the project before I serve you guys, right. because that's what. Because that's what I'm. That's, that's my job. But it's interesting because I feel. I remember he was saying one time. He either said this on the podcast, or maybe he said it when he, he, he we were talking uh, at this thing. He was like, he, he was like, you know, this this is something that he know, he said from his his executive experience. He was like, when he got his job. You know, he's, he's obviously entry level and he moved up to be in the notes. He was like, he was given kind of like, you know, like this, like this crib sheet hmm. of like terms to say. Terms to say. But not definition of what those terms were. What? You know, so he was like <laughs> saying, this is the kind of, spe- this is the writer speak kind of glossary. But but there's, I'm not. There's no definitions of the glossary. It's just like you got to say you got to kind of say these things so writers don't think you're stupid. Oh and, my god! But, you know when you're on the you <laughs> know it's like, all math. Like like like, like, like like talk about arcs. Right. And I, I speak in those terms and not explaining what an arc is to someone who comes because people who come as an entry level person. Mm-hmm. You sit on the call and. You know, it's like you said earlier about these guys who who came in on uh, Justified, how they they've worked together before and they have their kind of own language. Mm-hmm. There's a language that if you're coming out shorthand. of like shorthand, mm-hmm. that if you don't know, mm-hmm. someone's like, "Well, I don't know what's happening." You know, like at, like at the Act Two curtain and blah blah blah. If this is the first time that you're on that call, you might be like, "What the fuck are they talking about?" Mm-hmm. Or what's up with the act out and blah blah blah. And it's and it's because that's not the terminology that you're even thinking about, right. and it's not talked about that in books or in the classes and stuff like this. You don't know, mm-hmm. but he. But I, I was like, they just give you a, sh- a sheet of paper without <laughs> even like walking you through what these are supposed so to. So this was an executive. This is an executive. Wow. Who, the guy who left gave it to Craig. Wow. It's like here's terms that that, that you got to say in a call to make, and you should say you should say some of these <laughs> anyway because it make you sound like you're smart, you know. And he was wow. like. I already know the story. I don't need to say this shit. But it made me think, and it's like the people who get those jobs. I mean. I know that they want the best show, but a lot of it is they don't know how to talk to you, you know, and they're they're unversed in what we do. And it's interesting because well, I think some might be intimidated. Uh, of course, I said some might be. Well, 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 no, well, but think about it. If you were like a new executive, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden it's like. Here's a project from J.J. Abrams, mm-hmm. or here's a project from Damon Lindelof. Exactly. And you're like, well, shit, I gotta get on the phone talking to this guy, <laughs> and and you know, and 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 you don't realize that like he's just a writer, she's just a writer. But if you're younger and you come in and you're like, I've been fucking watching this guy's work for like a decade. Oh mm-hmm. my fucking god, David Simon's calling. You mm-hmm. know, like that's tripping you out. You know, so you're gonna be intimidated regardless. But then I think you compound it by. Not trying to be vulnerable in the conversation and just say, "Hey, I'm new at this. I, I, think I just want to, you know, preface this. So just let me know where it is." You know, I've talked about this a lot in different meetings at the Writers Guild. I think it comes down. I think it's a little bit more simpler than that for me. When I think I'm one of those people, Leonard, I always put myself in somebody else's position. Right? It keeps me from having enemies. Keeps me from being upset with people. I'm always like, "Oh, I think they did that because of that." Mm-hmm. Right? So where I'm going with it is, for me, I think if you always remember, if you're the executive, you know you know what the mandate is for your company. 
right? As long as you know what that is, as long as we're staying within that, those are the notes you talk to for me, right? So you're going, okay, we know that we have a show that likes to talk to this theme. We're not on it right now. Mm-hmm. We need to get back to that. And that will, at least in my head, help me go, oh, got it. I see where you're going. We went to the left. We need to go back to the right because then we stay on this track. So that at the end of the arc, we get there. I see where you're going, but this is what we were doing was this, you know, because we thought it was more interesting this way. And like, yeah, but our, this is CBS. We have to have, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I think if you remember that, you will, it will keep you in order. You don't need all that bullshit for me. You know what I mean? It's just yeah, that, something that, I've look, thought about. Oh, that's true. But you got to realize, I mean, how many people <clears throat> really, if you're not a writer, if you, you know, how do you understand really what that is? Because the thing that I get from people from notes sometimes is their personal decision making. Yes. Like, well, this is what I would do if I was Correct. writing it. Correct. And it's like, well... You should be. Then you know what? Come on, staff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> come write some scripts and come on staff at that yeah, point. Right. I'm, I'm, it's just it's interesting. I feel the the because you were saying earlier. I don't know if it was online, but you're like you're saying it's like at your level. It's being there's so much of being the manager that mm-hmm. you're de- you're dealing with the writers. You got to manage them, but just but you got to manage the executives. Oh, absolutely, too, yeah. You yeah. know, and figure out like like what that is, how to talk to them. You know how. Because I, because to me, I, you know, I talk very adversarial <laughs> about the executives, mm-hmm. but you know, you have to kind of like get them on your side mm-hmm. because they can kill a lot of things. Right. Uh, I mean, this, the main thing you want for them to do is, is to be able to go to bat for you, and they'll only do that if you demonstrate that you, um, that you respect their ideas and that they're listened to. You mm-hmm. might not have to execute them, mm-hmm. but you got to know that. Hey, I've heard it. Right. And I, and this is my reason why I can't do that. But I I mean because people just want to be heard. I mm-hmm. think this the biggest thing for them is that these wildly crazy people that are paying all this money just don't even want to listen to me. And my boss has got fucking expecting me to come back when you know that's the thing too. It's like you know they got to respond you know to answer to someone you know. So mm-hmm. um, hey, let me, let me ask you a question, Leonard. So when tell us about from a from a an executive producer's point of view. And you're somebody who, <clears throat> excuse me, when Dave's out, you run the room. For example, mm-hmm. what's your day to day like for you? Like, huh? like when we're out, we're when we're in the room, you know, like what's it like for you? Okay, um, I basically get into the office around five in the morning. What? Oh, because you go, you do your work for yeah. them. Okay, got it. Uh, and also, I have to commute from South Central into Santa Monica. So okay. I, the earlier I go, the easier it is for me. So I get in there <laughs> around five, um, depending where we are. Uh, I will often do my work first, mm-hmm. just a couple hours of that, and then I will be watching dailies. I'll be reading the notes. I'll be reading drafts. Um, uh, you know, watching cuts, and then if if I'm going to be running the room that day, I begin thinking, um, like, what you know, what's what are we trying to do for this for, for today? What's mm-hmm. the goal today? And um, and sort of prep that, and then the room starts around ten ten thirty. Okay. Um, oh, you're late then. You're late. So, but you guys in late too? Or no, no. Uh, we it's very very normal hours ten to ten thirty, and then uh, we we break around six. Okay. Yeah. Um, and uh, so you guys got a good system, so it's good. Yeah. This is this is a, this is where it's been like since justified mm-hmm. the same the same sort of schedule, uh, yeah. and this is where I also learned my own rhythms when we have the room. Right. Um, and then sometimes, 
Dave and I might stay a little bit later mm-hmm. than everyone else just to talk about a few things. Uh, and then he might go off to editing or he might go off to do something else. Um, uh, and that's essentially the day. But once we're in production, then everything goes to hell because, uh, you know, a lot of, so one, one of us is usually on set or someone, mm-hmm. someone's on set and moving back and forth. And so there's a lot more moving parts during mm-hmm. production. And, and that, that becomes a little bit more um, <clears throat> um, erratic. But, okay. uh, but while we're still in pre-production, while we're still just breaking story, it's a really, you know, uh, somewhat uh, r- relatively normal routine. Um, we have a nice a nice lunch. I, sometimes I'll, I might actually like sneak away during lunch and take a nap because <laughs> I was there so early that right. I, I was really, really tired. But uh, because um, I noticed that by like three o'clock, the room is starting to die. Yep. You can see everybody starting to go downhill. Yeah. The energy starting to, you know what I mean? That's where you're like, let's bring in some coffee, some donuts, yeah, something, oh, something. Oh, I else do a lot energy. of breaks. I'm like, let's take go. a 15 minute break. Right. Let's all like go off and. That kind of thing, because I, I don't I, I don't believe in like keeping people locked in the room for a mm-hmm. long time, because I don't think it's productive. Yeah. I think and you, you need time to sort of percolate and let people sort of come up with their own stuff. Yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting. I remember, um, I think Jeff or Paul had mentioned. And I talked with John Rogers about his method. Like mm-hmm. he like he he works you fifty minutes, gives you a ten minute break. Then you come back. He like that's just the fifty minutes and break. Fifty minutes because he wants everyone to kind of like feel yeah. to get that. I mean, is it you? I just interesting bring it up because like I noticed that too about my schedule. You know, I always try to if if I'm working, I take a later lunch usually around two thirty mm-hmm. or three, um, and then I'm just I I'm not into it after lunch. It doesn't matter what time I have lunch, even if I have an earlier lunch. Or another hour. Or so, so you taking a break doesn't doesn't really. No, it it does, but okay. to me it's like I but I but I usually like to kind of, I I like, I would like an hour or two even after lunch to just kind of like do like administrative shit. Okay, and that's what I like send emails, right. call people, check stuff, and then at around four thirty. I'm like I'm ready to go again. It's like the, the, like the brain is ready, right. and I can. And here come more. Here come the ideas. Mm-hmm. And I usually like I make coffee, and then at five I'm like I'm back in it for another maybe two or three hours. Right. It's just me working on my own. Sure. You know, I mean, obviously I work with other people. I I, I get for another schedule, mm-hmm. but I still. But I know what you mean. There's that there's that mid afternoon kind of low where everyone is kind of like I'm fucked up. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, I mean, I can just sense you just look around on people are like, yeah, like uh, you know, uh, trying to stay away. But, but, but see, something else I do, something else I do, if I'm really busy, like I'm really busy now, I jump on another project after lunch. Yeah. Because then it's like my mind is like, I haven't, like, I haven't been in this headspace. Mm-hmm. I don't know what's going on. I got to kind of r- ramp up the speed and, and, and I can focus on that a little quicker, yeah. you know, than the other thing. I just kind of <laughs> feel like if you are on that same show, the same show problem, the same get for three, four hours, that's, I mean, like, that, that's a lot of brain power that's, yeah. that you're expending, you know, so. Yeah, and also, like, when, what, if, if I'm running the room and I can, I can sort of see that flagging in, in energy or creativity, it's, it's, A, take a break, it's also, B, knowing, recognizing that and saying, okay, let's stop. Let's let's do something else. Let's talk about this other thing. Let's talk right. about. I mean, keeping it keeping that fresh. So very much like what you're doing with your projects. Do, you, you know, there's so many things to focus on on the show that that it's okay to to stop one line and just work on another line and mm-hmm. or talk big picture or talk you know anything like that. So yeah, it's it's a it's a, it's a balancing act and juggling act. Um. Let me let me ask you about 
when you guys are producing your episodes, right, or when they send you to the set because of whatever reason, one of the things that I know, because I grew up in a neighborhood like that, like that. I grew up in the, where the movie Dangerous Minds is. Uh-huh. That's my neighborhood. Uh-huh. You know, so I'm very familiar with that. We just were northern, the Northern California version. So I watch you guys go into areas that I'm always going, because you guys love to do those bird's eye view uh-huh. shots, what uh-huh. I fucking love. But I'm always looking at the scope and going, okay, where is security blocking this off? Because this is the worst project in that area. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, so how do you guys control that? Or I, I always think, um, and we talk about this a lot, we have different people come. Like we had um, um, the director of um, The Last Black Man in San Francisco on. Oh, yeah. Joe? Joe? That's his name? Talbot. Talbot. Joe Talbot. And so we, I was telling him, because I lived in San Francisco the last six years before I moved here, and I'm like, you guys had really good security. You had really good contacts. Or you had really good luck. Because mm-hmm. there are places you guys shot that nobody's ever shot before. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like you guys, you have, there are just places. We've seen South Central. We have not seen that street. Mm-hmm. We have not seen that project. You know, et cetera, et cetera. So I'm always going, who in the world is getting the yes in these things? And how do they control that security-wise? Yeah, you know it's... I mean? uh, it's <clears throat> you know what I mean? I know exactly okay. what you mean. Uh, so... We, we do, well, it depends on where we're shooting and what we're shooting. Like, for example, you know, I, just this past season, we were shooting uh, uh, Leon with the, with, the, with the AK. Right. right? Um, and we were going to use uh, fake bullets. And, but then we realized, oh, no, if he's actually shooting, <laughs> and we're in the projects, it's like midnight. Right. Uh, and and there's only so much security we have. Mm-hmm. We can actually cause some problems. Oh yeah. So so we have to, oh well, we'll have to VF, VFX it and right. we'll have to sort of figure that out. And um, so we, we are aware of all that kind of stuff. Okay. And also some of the crew, some of the crew are clearly former or still you know either Crips or Bloods. Okay. And we and so when, if we go into another neighborhood, right. they're, they're like uh, I don't know if I should go there because mm. they they might know me. Right, um, and so we have to sort of navigate. I thought that I've wondered that because Leon dresses like a crip sometimes, so you don't always know exactly what. I mean, yeah. he rides the line of not quite being one hundred percent, but yeah. depending on who you are, you're like yeah. like there's that there's that great scene where why am I going blank on Franklin's uncle when when the Jerome the Jerome with the big shootout and he's walking in slow motion yeah. Yeah. and plays all the blood. Yeah, yeah, and I was yeah. like. Oh, okay. I grew up in a blood neighborhood, yeah, okay. and I'm always like, "Oh shit!" They showed them like, yeah. "This is real shit." Yeah, yeah. It's gonna be interesting this next season uh, right. how to how to navigate that. Yeah, um, yeah. So uh, security, and also you know the crew now. All of us have been working together for three years now, and so okay. we all kind of know each other. Yeah. So if something feels like, "Oh, um, you know, who, who's that guy?" Who suddenly walked on the set. Why is that? Then you know, we, we can sort of flag that. But right. generally, it's Especially in some of the places we shoot, they, they actually love us. Like mm-hmm. they're like, "Oh, we love the show." Mm-hmm. Like you know, can I get? Can I walk on? Yeah. And, and, no, you can't. But you can watch it over here, and you yeah. know, and 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 and, and you, you know, you can get a drink and you know help yourself. And oh, that's good. So so, so they, you include them a little. Try bit. to, yeah, yeah. yeah that's good. Yeah, um, but it, it it depends on where we're shooting and what we're shooting. Right. There are a couple East LA places that we have to be a little bit more careful about. Right. Yeah. Right. yeah um, <laughs> 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 the Messiah games, they're gonna be playing that too. <laughs> you gotta get permission, Jack. Oh, you, yeah. you know, I, I, it's interesting. It's mm. like um, I, you made a good point about that. There's, there, there's always the thing about Los Angeles is, is that if you live here long enough, 
and you watch enough film and TV, then you see a lot of shit gets repeated. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But there's always interesting stuff in your show that's like, like you said, like where do they shoot this? Where do they find this little street? And it's and it's funny because every once in a while I'm driving somewhere mm-hmm. and I see some place and I'm like, why hasn't this been in a movie? Mm-hmm. You know, like I was um, the other two weeks ago I was going to go meet I, I, uh, Tracy Grant on this mm-hmm. project he's doing and uh, we're meeting over there by um, you know like where uh, uh, where what the hell is the name of that street it's uh, it's on Pico it's it's on Pico just east of uh, La Brea and there's like that little center there there's like a Lowe's there everything like that oh yeah 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 so it was the Ralphs and the Ralphs yeah and it was just yeah. like just a little farther east in there mm-hmm. this dead end street but to get to it there was this little bridge that we oh, had, that we had drive over. over that bridge. Yeah, yes. and, and I was like, "Why wasn't this shit like like right. confidential or something?" This is such a right. cool and it goes up into the yeah. hills. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. And I was yeah, like, yeah. "This would be cool yeah. shit." And it's like, no one shot here. <laughs> There's like in anything. Yeah, Leonard. It's 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 interesting because I, it's one of the things that I, I there's a documentary that I always tell people that I love. It's called um um Los Angeles plays itself. Have you seen this? I, no man, I've heard you talk about it. Before. Yeah, you should see it. It's it's, it's like three hours, and it's yeah. all it's all about like how LA is pre- presented in the movies, yeah. okay. and it just takes you to places. And sometimes they're like they'll do these weird cuts that, that Angelinos know, or like that's not how that right. shit is. Like, right, like, right, like, right, right. like you talk. I always remember there's like a scene in Cobra where it's like they're down in Venice, and he makes a turn. Next thing you know, he's in Century City. <laughs> oh yeah, and it's like you know that's not how all that shit goes. Six, three bridges. Yeah. Right. Like that's not how that's not how that shit works. But 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 I think it's interesting when you're doing a show about LA, particularly at particularly a period piece like you're doing, mm-hmm. that you can find these pockets that still feel and fit like that time yeah. with, yeah. with very little dressing. I think that's still one of the beauties of this city is that it it, it can you know the the period can look timeless without doing particularly down to South Central mm-hmm. because there's a lot. There was a photo There's I a saw. There's a lot of things that haven't changed. I haven't changed at all. Yeah. There's a photo that I saw. Uh, you know, there's that exhibit that was, it just closed like two weeks ago called Hip Hop that was at the, um, the, um, at the Annenberg space, right? Mm-hmm. And there was a photo of, I want to say like, not DOC, but one of those guys who was around like when DOC was, uh, mm-hmm. was big. So this is like the late, not, late 80s, early 90s. Mm-hmm. Um, it was Warren G. It was Warren okay, G. Yeah. And he's like posted up against this this street sign somewhere down South Central. I brought it down somewhere, and I was like, "No one shot this street because like the like the streets come at like they, they come at it. The streets like come to that corner like a V." Mm-hmm. And I was like, "Okay, wait a minute. This looks so fucking cool because like it just it, there's always cool shit in this town that is unshot." Right. Um, and I'm just wondering, is it like, well, because it's in South Central, like like can they get the permission? You know, generally, yeah. Yeah, generally, yeah. It's uh, we have a really great location department, and um, and they they work their asses off, really. Um, uh, it's that's actually been one of the most fun parts because uh, you know we'll often shoot like four or five blocks from where I live, <laughs> so I wake up, roll out of bed, go to set. You know, mm-hmm. I can literally walk to set, and then you know come back home for lunch. Come back, so it's it's been actually you know wonderful. It's kind of spoiling me, but. Uh, it's all good. That's awesome. Yeah. So, what's next for you? Um, I am doubling down and going full force into development. Mm-hmm. So, I have 
um, a handful of projects in various stages. Right. Set up some set up some with different places. And Did you stick it in TV? Are you going to do some film or all, all TV? Yeah. All TV. Um, I'm just beginning to run into a little bit of the problem of positioning and all that kind of stuff. And uh, uh, but I feel like one of the one of the big negotiations I did was uh, Snowfall is not in first position. Uh, oh, that, that's why that's why I had to be firm because yeah. I really really. But that's why you can do your work in the morning too. Yeah. Right? Okay. Yeah. <clears throat> so I really I really want to sort of do some of my own stuff. Um, so I have projects. I have one project working with Ben actually on something. Uh, ben Watkins, mm-hmm. and then uh, you know just a handful of other ones. Yeah. So I keep working on those. Uh, Snowfall. We're now beginning to staff up. Yeah. So um, meeting when, writers. When, when do we start? What's that? When do we start? <laughs> yeah, well, I can talk about staffing up because I'm surprised that I mean we we actually we don't really need the agents that much anymore mm-hmm. because now it's really easy to submit to us mm-hmm. and um, but we have very specific needs, really specific needs, um, and so we're sort of focusing on that. Um, but I was surprised that the sometimes you know the writing samples aren't as good as they could be, mm-hmm. and you know the other day we were interviewing someone and. They actually really hadn't watched the show. What? <laughs> and, you know, and, and I was like, "Don't do that." <laughs> My assistant Richard. So I, you know, asked him the question. So you know, <clears throat> tell me your thoughts about Snowfall. What did you think about the, you know? And and this person was completely bullshitting. And I was like, I can't believe you didn't watch the show. Wow. Like, we liked your sample. You probably could have gotten the job, but now Damn. there's no way. You now because you don't give a shit. Damn. See, see, that's the thing. It's, it's. It, I mean. This goes back to about are you going to do the work, mm-hmm. and I think and I think that that's and I and I say this all the time doing doing the writing is not all the work it's a lot of the work, mm-hmm. but it's like I was saying earlier about the about the one hundred right it's mm-hmm. like you know like I knew um, Kim Shumway who's a who's a co EP mm-hmm. she was like it's a possibility that we'll have a staff don't it, it, it's a staff job we don't know what possibility I was like okay well I'm gonna you know just let me know and then when if you can I'll submit something you know but the minute she said okay I'll let you know and it was like about like maybe like 10 days later she was like okay submit something we'll, we'll see um, I watched like two seasons of that show you know like in like that quickly and it was like you know and I was and I was getting into the third mm-hmm. when she when I sent her the sample and then she got back to me a couple of days later and she was like well we're not taking that level we're only getting like very specific needs but I but, 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 mm-hmm. but I literally watched like like two and a half seasons of a show to prepare for a meeting that might not happen yeah, yeah. but I was like but I gotta so do that gotta do. because 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 yeah. I can't go in there like I read all the and, comics and, 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 <laughs> and, and, yeah, and yeah. talk about anything that makes it look like that I'm not a diehard for the right. show because oh that's something I wanted to ask you like because you came on the justified in the middle and Snowfall's obviously from the beginning and Awake was in the beginning what was some of the 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 the, the real hurdles of coming on? Because you was season f- three or four you came on. I uh, came on season four, I think. Yeah, um, it was well because I knew the show so well. I did feel like I I could jump in it, but the the biggest thing was they you know that room was relatively the same over the past few years, and so there was some changing in and out. But they kind of knew their their roles mm. like who would be who would be this guy who would be this guy this woman and what what they sort of 
participating, and I had to sort of figure out what my role was in in those established roles. Right. And so it was a little bit of trial and error. You know, I, I I'm sure I stepped on some toes early on, and but eventually, you know, as I as I got the feel for the room, and it took me you know a couple of weeks, I realized, oh okay, like. Um, we have someone who's who's really funny, and I'm not that funny. I'm not even going to try to do the like the funny mm-hmm. elements. Uh, but I, you know, like I, I'm all about character, and this guy is all about character. And sometimes we can like like bounce it back and forth. So I'm beginning to know that, and and I'm really good with like big bigger picture stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like the showrunner is too, and I can begin to picture you know stuff that I know that he's thinking about. So right. I began to sort of understand where I fit, and so then. Once that happened, that sort of made life a lot easier. And then it was, uh, I had my first script with them, and that was going to be like the big test. Mm-hmm. And so, even though I was paired up with someone, and say, and that someone has a co-writing credit, he actually did nothing on that script. He he just said, "Let's do what you got." Um, and so I, I I just like busted my ass on that first script, mm. and it turned out. And I took some risks. I did, mm-hmm. I didn't do exactly what we pitched. In the room, I did something close, but I, but I just knew <clears throat> instinctively when the show would, would, would work. Um, and I sent that outline in, and, and they loved it. And so that gave me, bought me more, more time and, and sort of uh, um, currency there. Mm-hmm. And then the, the thing that actually solidified my role there was when that uh, I wrote the script, and that script uh, got blown up. Because it was basically based on a father son thing mm-hmm. that that Timothy Elephant didn't want to do. He's mm-hmm. like, I don't want to do that. And and, I, and we were so in, he don't read the outlines that take it away. You know, that was a big thing. <laughs> That's a like, problem. We had this out. This is yeah. the story has been mm-hmm. here for two weeks. And, right. And so, uh, and this is where I, and this is where I earned my stripes. Uh, we were going to. Uh, I hope I'm not conflating the various scripts, but we were going to start shooting Monday morning, and it was Friday night. The script got blown up. Hmm. Uh, my co-writer was off in Santa Barbara on a vacation. <laughs> and so I sat down with uh, two other writers, uh, Dave and Scott Ben. Uh, the show under Graham had already left for Santa Barbara. Well, uh, uh, Monterey, where Monterey, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and you know, the number two on that show was was Fred. Right? I don't know where he was, and and so it was just three of us, and so we had to re break break the entire episode mm. that night, Friday night, and it was just like one beat, like this should happen, this should happen, this should happen. and then I went home and I just wrote the whole script over the weekend. Um, and you you hear that, people? Yeah. That's what happens. Go ahead. Go yeah, ahead. yeah. <laughs> over the weekend, and then. Uh, uh, it turned out. It turned out great. It mm-hmm. turned out great. And so then they realized, okay, he can he can deliver in a pinch. Right. He doesn't need oversight. He doesn't need too much guidance. He doesn't even need that much of a room. Hmm. And so the next the next time we had a script, uh, and that one really got blown up, <laughs> and we had to actually start shooting <clears throat> that night. Oh my god! <laughs> oh my so, god! And so, you know, Graham said to me. Uh, you know, can you do this? I said, absolutely, I can do this. So I, I, I went to my office, and VHA was in that office mm-hmm. also, and it was like, you know, 9, 10 o'clock in the morning. I just sat down, and I said, and I just wrote the script in, wow. in basically 12 hours. Um, and it turned out fine. It turned mm-hmm. out fine. I mean, I had to do rewrites. Sure. Yeah. You know, but the main thing, and so... And this was your first season? Yeah. Wow. So that's when they realized, oh... That's Le- trust. Leonard could write yes, fast. That's, that's the thing. Trust. They knew I could write really right. fast and 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 nail what I want, what we were trying to do, and that just bought me a ton of currency on that show after that. Because then it was like, oh, if there's ever a big problem, 
Don't worry, right. we can keep it to Leonard. Right. And that's, that's the one thing that I'm always encouraging all the people who come in here, my assistants, whatever. I'm like, you have got to be working on your speed. Yeah. You because there is nothing more important in the room than that person yeah. who could just. I got you, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean, and fix it. Yeah. You want to be the fixer. You want to be the closer. You want to be that one that everybody remembers in history. Yeah. You know, that's the episode that Leonard came in and saved us. Yeah. You know well, what I mean? See, yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I, you know, the, 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 the misnomer is, um, it, you know, you sit around and you do like, you, that, you, that you slave over like a page or two or something like that a day. Mm-hmm. But I kind of feel like you, that's happening... When you are create, it, it could happen if you if you create something from scratch. You don't know the characters. You don't know the the tone. Of, you, there's so much stuff you're trying to figure out right. initially, and it could take a longer time. But if you know the show, if you know the characters, if you know like the dynamics of what's going to happen, and you hear the voice, you, you hear the voice. Mm-hmm. Then it's a question of what's your ability to actually execute what, what you know what's happening. And that I think was there's like a weird kind of like, uh, I mean like. Well, let me jump in because it's 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 also it's absolutely that, but it's also about practice. Like being, if you have if you've written a lot, a lot of those things that that people are beginning to sort of try to figure out, you already know because you've already done it so many times. Mm -hmm. Right, right. And this is something that I'm still surprised by with uh, like the newer writers I'm meeting, and and you know I ask, oh, what have you written? And they have you know one script. That they wrote, I'll say, well, what else do you have? And they don't have anything else. And, right. they, and how long have you been doing right. this? Well, five years. <laughs> You've been in town for five years. If you have one script, that's crazy. I write five scripts in a year. Like that, that's, that's crazy. Mm-hmm. And so when you write a I've lot, I've done five this year already. <laughs> you know what I mean? I wrote, it's crazy. Yeah, I mean, you've been on a show, but you're making a point. When 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 you when you when you're constantly writing, all the little issues and problems that you run into those those different scripts right. begin to accumulate your arsenal, your yes. weaponry yes. of what to do. So when you're so suddenly called upon, I need the script in twelve hours, right. you already have all this shit that you know how to do. You know how to begin in a certain way, you know how to deal with these characters, you know how to do the act breaks in a certain way. Especially if if you've done it in the past so many times, you know all the different angles. Right. So that's why it's it's definitely harder for a newer writer to write faster because they don't they haven't done it enough. And so if there's anything that I could emphasize to especially the newer writers listening to this, man, you got to be writing all the time, right. absolutely. Because I will see immediately the novice in you um, when I read one of your scripts, and I will also know like I I can also tell how long you've been writing this when I see on your scripts, and so. Um, that's, that's an interesting point too because <clears throat> I'm reading something for a couple of people right now and I look at it and I can just tell by how the senses are structured that it's like you could have I mean it's one of those things where, I, where because I do it so much in my own work it's like you know how do I get this shorter how do I get this faster yeah. and it's like you know what if I, if, I, if I read your script and see how I can make you know yeah. you know like, like your language more efficient and concise yes. yeah then right. I'm like do you know what there's that there's two passes that you didn't do before you gave this to me mm-hmm. and that I mean this is thing this morning it's like I was I tell you I was like, like 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 I wrote this thing and I was like thinking in my head like oh visually they're gonna do this and I wrote like it was like it was two action it was two verbs mm-hmm. I was like no, no no I just need to say the one verb right. you mm-hmm. know because I because I don't need that other moment because that's what the actor's doing right. but the writer can the but to get the point across like now it's you know it's eight words now it's three right. you know because and and that shows on the page because yeah. you're like oh there's just things you don't need 
when you're writing. I mean, that you know, I mean, there's just there's language you don't need, and that is what you're talking about. Yeah. And you can tell. And, and I'll take it a step further. We talk about this a lot on the show. I can open up somebody's script and go, "Well, they haven't read this on paper yet." You know, there's something about like all the little details and how neat you make it and you turn the page and now it's back at the top. You know, it's just things that you make clean yeah. where when you're just writing, it's just, it's, it's all over the place, but you make it clean so it has buttons and it ends at different spots and it makes yeah. you want to go, cool, I'm at the end of Act 1, I can stop right here right quick. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Whatever, but yeah, yeah, yeah that's yeah. fascinating to me. Yeah, because it's, a, it's, 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 I mean, it's part of the craft. I mean, it's, 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 you know, it's different. It's like, it's different than a novel because you don't have those kind of like um the constraints in a writing in writing like a teleplay or a screenplay is designed in a way that you have to know how to be creative around those constraints that's yeah. that's part of where your skill comes from right. that this is developed skill it's not like a, an innate skill mm -hmm. because there's no one who knows how to fucking like wake up and go oh the screenplay form and I got it down you know? <laughs> I'll make it work right. um, but yeah 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 that's you're right it's, there's just a lot of work you gotta I mean I, I, it's just the writing so yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and I think uh, you know I was thinking about what one of the main things that people have to know in terms of uh, staying in in this business mm -hmm. um, and at the at the absolute foundation base of it all is, is the writing of it and right. I know there are a lot of people who are trying to get in based on like you know being a, an assistant and work your way up or you know networking with the right people mm -hmm. or, but, but and cause it's now I'm in the hiring process and so yes. I can see that wow if it's not on the page it's, it's you, you, don't have, you don't have much of a shot <laughs> you just don't so. you know this is the last thing I want to bring up a couple of years ago you tweeted this was maybe on your website. There's like, an article called um, "Writing in the Cold." Oh, Ted Solotar. Ted, yeah, oh, Ted yeah, Solotar. Yeah, I yeah. saw that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, for people who haven't uh, read this, they should read it. It's just a question of is this guy? He's a former editor at a magazine, and uh, he, editor, book editor, and, writer. Yeah, also yeah. He wrote this really fascinating article, this essay about you know what happens to writers. And how do you stay in the game? Mm -hmm. And he's more talking about like short stories and novels, stuff like that. Sure. But it's very applicable to screenwriters because a lot of it is like, how do you deal with the the rejection, the, the setbacks? And it's like, I bring this up because you mentioned this guy who's like, oh, I've been in town for five years and I wrote this one script. It's like, things have happened to you probably <laughs> while you haven't written another one. Exactly. But it's like, you got to be writing a lot more. And it's like, mm -hmm. you know, we talk about this all the time. Mm -hmm. You... If someone tells me that they've only written one script, I'm like, you're not you're in suspect. this. You suspect, because <laughs> for multiple reasons. One, because one is like, well, don't you have more ideas? Mm -hmm. Two, if if your script is that good, you can't be polishing it that much. Because then, if you polish it that much, then it's like you lose all the integrity of it. Yeah, then yeah. you're not you're not really that good because it took you so long to get it where it is. Mm -hmm. And then it's, I'm, I I just kind of feel like. Again, as the artist, you got like in five years, so much shit has happened in your life or the, or the world around you. Mm -hmm. You better be writing about it. Mm. And if you're not, then what are you doing? Mm. I mean, really, what are you doing? Are you painting about and it? You're, I, I, and you're not observing clearly. Not, yeah, you know yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. that's that's a big thing. You should be you should be studying human behavior. 
You should be listening to stories. You should be, and I always say we're in a stage now where you could, you could, you could, you could write, you could, you could read, you could listen, you could, you could, you could watch. You know, all those things are studying. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's just how you do it and how you take it in. You know what I mean? Absolutely. I think the real test is if you ask a writer, would you be writing on this project if you knew for certain, for certainly that it would not sell? Would you still work on it? And if the answer is yes, then, oh, okay, he, he right. or she is writing on this project because it's important to him or her to, to fulfill that sort of creative urge. It's all about right. the process of writing and not, waiting, not trying to make a big sale right. at the end. And that was, for me, important as a novelist because, you, you know, you're writing on spec, most, except right. for one novel, I, all, all yeah. my novels on spec, and you're talking three, four years per novel, 600 mm-hmm. pages a novel, Oof. with no idea what's going to... And right. so you have to keep doing that gut check right. am, I, am I writing this hoping I'm going to get a big sale or am I writing this because I absolutely have to write it and the, the, the most successful novels for me are the ones where I absolutely had to write it right. um, and I feel the same way about the scripts too so. yeah totally agree yeah, yeah. on that note thanks so much Leonard my pleasure this was my awesome pleasure. it was worth the wait to have you <laughs> on the you. show thank you all these years we've been talking about getting you on yeah, it's awesome can. for sure um and I'm going to try to get you on some more panels at the Writers Guild if you're, if you're at all interested in being if on. I have time that's a thing like he got a job or something. Know. <laughs> no, he no job. He's not developing he anything. He's not developing nothing. <laughs> he's walking around the corner to the set. He ain't doing anything. <laughs> I'm driving. If he's not driving to get to work, that's that's a lot of time out of your life. <laughs> so where are you on Instagram or Twitter? I'm basically only on Twitter at, at Leonard Chang. Mm-hmm. Um, Wait a minute. You have so so many fascinating uh, things on on Instagram. What, what happened was, okay, I, I do have an Instagram, but I, I made it private because what's happening now, I'm not sure exactly why I'm Instagram, but now I'm getting tons of people like asking me for shit on Instagram. Okay. Like, okay. like read this, can you cast me, blah, blah, blah. Right, and, right, right, right. And, and I'm getting followed by all these people I, I don't know. I'm like, you know what? That's Twitter's for that. Right. Like, Follow me on Twitter. I can do that. But yeah, I mean, I still have an Instagram. Okay, account. okay, but it's not it's not public. I, get <laughs> I mean, it, I get look, it's. <clears throat> I mean, I won't. It's it's at Len Chang, um, and if I know you, I'll add you. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, wait, I'm telling you right now. He, because he always posts these kind of like I, I I don't know where you find these clips oh, of yeah, people yeah. who fuck up, yeah, right. fuck up bad, <laughs> <laughs> fuck up real bad. And it's just so funny. It's yeah. just. Someone in the grocery store was like, pulls something, the whole shelf falls, or something like that. I'm like, where do you find this stuff? It is hilarious. But I I guess it's not for everybody because everybody doesn't know you. So there it is. And uh, where are you at, Chris? Uh, Unauthorized CBD on Twitter and Instagram. Awesome. And I'm your host, Hilliard Guest. You guys can find me on Twitter at Hilliard Guest. You guys can follow the show, Screenwriters RR on Twitter. Any questions, screenwritersrantroom at gmail.com. Please go on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, whatever you guys listen to. Give us a five-star review. Um, follow the show. Subscribe to the show. All that other stuff. You can follow us on our what, Chris? On our Patreon page, which is uh, patreon.com uh, slash uh, uh, SWRR. Mm-hmm. And, um, in the show notes. And, yeah, in the show notes. <clears throat> you can find a show notes. It's in the show notes. There's the website's up Coming. right now. It's Coming. up. It's, so it's um, screenwritersrr.com is okay. is the website. So right. and you can find the the uh, uh, what are we talking about? The Patreon there. You, mm-hmm. you can find the T-shirt there. Yeah, so link, you find links to the all links, that. The shit. links to all this for shit sure. is there. So That's awesome. Thank you yes. for building that. We appreciate that. Yes, 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 for yes. Sure. Um, what was I say? Uh, shout out to Lisa. She'll be back. 
Thanks again, Leonard. This is awesome. Thank dude. you. I'm sorry I missed Lisa. I, I was know. allowed to talk she, to her. She wanted to meet you. Yeah. She wanted to no, meet well. you for sure. So right. we'll have to have you back again okay. in another three years. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> he just don't want to drive from South Central. That's all. I know, man. I don't know. There's no, there's no easy bus route either. So there you go. <laughs> we will Uber you here. Okay. God damn it. Okay. All right. <laughs> anyway, thank you very much. Thank you, man. Appreciate it. All right. All right. So uh, you guys know how we do it on the rant room. On the show, we keep it real. We keep it opinionated. We keep it what, everybody? Wakanda, Wakanda forever. forever. Peace, y'all. I'ma say what I feel. And I promise to keep it real. Welcome to the Red Room. Well, you gotta be a rider Till your fears are diminishing The doubts are behind ya It's hard to grind And the business got me stressed In the rent room We let that shit up off our chest You know the street nerds Got no time for no caca Sass in class Yes, they used to pull a kaja Never have to guess When you're listening to Hilliard He gon' bring more game Than a shark playing billiards It's all about the crap of screenwriting It's exciting when you turn an outline Into something enlightening Your pen and words Are like bullets in a gun Write what you feel Say